0: this is the sports bash with Mike Gill on 973 ESPN now live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios here's Mike Gill here we go on a Wednesday
1: edition of the sports Bash live on 973 ESPN and the 973 ESPN free mobile app what's going on everybody? I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Ennings producing today's show. You out there. Doc Rivers, speaking to the media just moments ago, had something very interesting to say when asked about his propensity to blow 3-1 leads. You'll hear that coming up this hour on the Sports Bash. Plus, Mike McGarry, is it time for the Sixers fans to hit the panic button? He'll join me in about 40 minutes from now. Ryan Rothstein in the 3 o'clock hour. Paul Hudrick. Tim Legler tonight at 5 30. We got the Sixers and Raptors covered from every single angle you can find. You know, the Sixers fans have a propensity to be a little irrational. I would say, in this case, being irrational would be the rational decision. <laughs> Even though my level of concern, the alarms for me are about a four and a half out of 10. I am okay with yours or higher. Look, they still have to beat you twice, and you've beat them three in a row. I will say this. I talked about this yesterday. The Raptors have five or more game win streaks. I think it was four or five different times this year. So there has been multiple times this year that the Raptors, in fact, their biggest win streak of the season was an eight-game win streak. So they have the ability to cobble together a couple of win streaks. They have a bunch of five-game winning streaks. I think they did that three different times. They have a six-gamer, and they have an eight-gamer. So this is a team that they do have confidence. They can get going. The Sixers, on the flip side, they lost four or more games once throughout the course of the season, and it was all the way back in the month of November they lost to the Knicks, they lost to the um, Bucks, they lost to the Raptors, they lost to the Pacers, and they lost to the Jazz. So the Raptors were in that loss, in that five-game losing streak that the Sixers had. Before they had a five-game win streak, they had a six-game win streak. So they had a six-game win streak and then a five-game losing streak. So the Sixers' longest losing streak of the year was a five-gamer back in the uh, November. Since that time, they lost three straight in March, and that is the longest. That is the second longest losing streak they had all season long. They lost to Phoenix, Milwaukee, and Detroit back in March. So that sets up what we have tomorrow night, and of course, the Sixers fans hitting the panic button pretty hard. I mean, it feels like that Staples button. It says that was easy. People are just like smashing that thing right now. Everywhere I go, it's like I can't find a Sixers fan that feels comfortable and confident right now. And I'm not saying you should feel comfortable or confident, but many people are at like level eight and a half or higher. When I ask, "Hey, what's your you know level one one to ten? Give me your level of confidence, you know, or your level of concern," you know, eight and a half. It's like, geez, you really think this team's going to lose four straight? They've only done four straight losses once all season long. That's it. But there are some reasons to be a little bit concerned, and I will break them down for you here on the Sports Bash Live. Look, Sixers in the game, uh, the Raptors are minus one and a half right now. So you do have the Raptors as a slight favorite in the game. The over under's two oh nine, which says what? It's gonna be an ugly kind of game. I think Joel Embiid said some telling things the other day that we didn't really get a chance to discuss in depth. But if you look a little further behind some of the things that Joel Embiid said the other day, I think you can certainly kind of make some assertions to where his mind is at this point. Now, when he was asked about how his defense was the other night, he said, I was terrible defensively, especially in that third quarter, so there's really no explanation, I guess. I need to play with more energy and move my feet better, but I just have to be better. I like the fact that he acknowledged that he has to move his feet better. I like the fact that he does understand that, There is more to the injury, you know, than meets the eye. That thumb injury shouldn't have be tied to his foot. That thumb injury shouldn't be tied to his legs. Joel Embiid can give more. I talked about this yesterday. The Sixers were routinely getting beat back on defense, and Joel Embiid was a culprit. I hate to, you know, I'm singling him out, and there's others. I'm singling him out because he's the leader. He's the man. But there's something else that he said, Joel Embiid. And if you read the Philadelphia Inquirer, which was, what's, uh, Gina Mizell is her name. She's one of the Sixer writers for uh, the Inquirer. And Embiid admitted, I didn't hear him say this, because uh, if you watched the post game the other night, maybe I missed it. But the post game did not air Embiid's press conference. So I did not see Embiid speak after the game on Monday night or Tuesday night, whatever night it was. Monday night? Monday night. It mead it, it, after the game, Gina Mizell tweeted this out. She is the Sixers beat reporter for the Inquirer. Her and Keith Pompey uh, kind of cover the Sixers together. And Gina Mizell, I think, adds a layer that adds a lot to the conversation here. And she tweets this. "And Bead admitted some hesitancy while playing with the injured thumb. Quote, I'm in a situation where I try to protect it. Before I even attack or if I get the ball, it's almost like I'm not playing freely where I'm like, well, if I do this, I might get hit or I might get hurt. Mentally, I just got to get out of that and I guess hope for the best and just be myself and not think about which move can put me in a bad position to get hit or hurt even more, end quote. Joel Embiid told you all you need to know. He's playing with hesitancy. We're seeing it, but he told you he is. I tweeted it out before the game on Monday night that I was concerned about this very thing. And he's now telling you, look, we've all had this situation, right? It's in any walk of life if you have ever pulled a hamstring, you ever pull your hamstring, if you pull your hamstring, you are afraid to run at full speed because the pain that you felt at that moment, you do not want to go through again. So you're afraid to let it loose. You know, I had never pulled my hamstring as a young man. Kind of as an older gentleman in my 30s, You know, I like to try to stay young and hip with the kids that I coach, so I'll try to race you. At one point in my life, I was pretty fast. You know, I played running back. They handed me the ball and nobody could catch me. Those days are far behind me. But in my mind, I could still run like I was an 18-year-old running back. So I said to the kid, I'll race you. I know I can beat him in my mind. The problem was my legs disagreed. And as soon as I got out of the starting block, it felt like somebody shot me in my hamstrings. And I said, I will never try to race a kid ever again. Why? Because I don't want to feel what I felt that day. Right? The Red Hot Chili pepper said it best. I don't ever want to feel like I did that day. I had it happen to me driving my car last week. I'm driving in the parking lot of the 97.3 ESPN studios here when the ball joint of my car just completely gave out the tire that I have that usually faces forward was facing sideways now even though it's fixed I said to myself well what if I wasn't only driving five miles an hour like I could have really been seriously injured which probably would have made some of the listeners out there very happy Josh is laughing uncontrollably. There's a lot of people that listen to this show, Josh, believe it or not, that don't like me. Those are my favorite people. I love those people. But I'm sure they would have been like, yeah, that's great that he uh, got hurt in a car accident.
2: There's a huge difference, though, between not liking you on the, on hair host and wanting you to die.
1: I didn't say death. I just said who knows what would have happened.
2: Yeah, well, that your mind can race from there. Okay? Well,
1: anyway, so I drove five miles an hour. The ball joint of my car, the tire, you know, got disconnected, Mm -hmm. and my car just stopped on the spot. Like, boom. I felt like I hit something, and the ball joint separated. I got it fixed, but mentally, it's almost like I don't want to drive any faster than, like, 25 miles an hour because now I'm afraid that my other ball joint on the other side, it's the same amount of mileage— when's the propensity for that thing to give out on me right it's so a it's like i right exactly so i don't want f- to to like i don't want to do any parkway or, or or expressway driving heck i barely want to go over 25 miles an hour like mentally i'm not, i'm just not there to let her rip yet and joel and b just said exactly that he said i'm in a situation where i try to protect it Before I even attack or if I get the ball, it's almost like I'm not playing freely. Like, what if I do this? I might get hit or I might get hurt. Joel Embiid is telling you exactly what I'm thinking about when I'm running against some kid or when I'm driving my car because, quite frankly, I'm not sure if the other ball joint's going to give out or anything in that aspect. Joel Embiid is not playing the way he wants to play because he's afraid of what might happen to that thumb. And that comment right there, him coming out and admitting that, essentially tells you everything you need to know about where this series is. And unless Embiid lets her rip, you know, if I line up on that left field line and it says, ready, set, go, is it going to feel like my hamstring is going to get shot out of a cannon? Bang. Oh, my gosh. I don't want to feel that again. And, indeed, whatever he feels when that thumb gets hit or that thumb feels the basketball up against it, whenever he feels that, he doesn't want to feel it if he doesn't have to. Right? He doesn't want to feel that if he doesn't have to. And the comments that Joel Embiid made, this is, uh, again, Gina Mizell, who covers the Sixers for the Inquirer. She tweeted this out. It was near midnight on Monday night. This is why I didn't hear it. So I didn't hear that he had said this, and I'm just reading the quotes now. But that is not surprising to me at all. You win the first three games of the series – Now you've dropped two in a row. Joel Embiid, who has a torn ligament in his thumb, he says after the game, I can't think about the injury so much. Now you know why this team is where it is. Joel Embiid is the straw that stirs the proverbial drink, right? He's the Moses Malone of the 83 Sixers. He is that version on the 2022 Sixers. And Embiid telling reporters after the game that, hey, I got to basically play more freely. That's what it comes down to. If Joel Embiid plays more freely, this series should be over tomorrow night. But if Embiid is going to be worried about what happens, you'll be back in Philadelphia on Saturday and you'll be in a game seven situation. It's as simple as that. So if Embiid knows it, The only person that can basically control that is Joel Embiid himself. So now you're in a situation of, does Joel Embiid put that past him, put that behind him? Is he ready to floor it on the expressway? Is he ready to put the pedal to the metal on the parkway? Is he ready to line up and race and not worry if his hamstring is going to give out on him? Is that thumb going to be in his mind in game number six, or is he going to put it past him, put it behind him, and just play freely? I got to be honest, that's a tough thing to do, man. It's a tough thing to do because we don't know what kind of pain he feels when that ball hits his hand or when he blocks a shot or when he grabs a rebound. We don't know what he's feeling in that moment. Now, somebody out there who's listening, who's maybe torn a ligament in their thumb, maybe you do know what he's feeling. And maybe you understand why he doesn't want to get that hand involved in a blocked shot. But him saying it is exactly what was on my mind and many people's mind out there about why he's playing. You know, he had 22 points. He's still a pretty good player. But he hasn't been Joel Embiid the last two nights. That's for sure. You couple that in with what else he told reporters Monday night, that James Harden, who took just 11 shots and 15 points, that he needs to be more aggressive. You took those two factors in, and now you know why this team's at 3-2 after a 3-0 lead. No team in NBA history has blown a 3-0 series lead, and if they could get a victory on Thursday, Toronto, in Toronto, they would be only the fourth team out of 145 times to force a game seven. So, Doc Rivers, he was asked about it just moments ago on SportsCenter. He said this about the playoff collapses that teams he has coached have gone through.
3: Well, it's easy to use me as an example, uh, but I wish y'all would tell the whole story with me, all right? Um, my Orlando team is the HC. No one gives me credit for getting up against the Pistons who won the title. That was an AFC. Go look at that. I want you to go back and look at that roster. I I dare you to go back and look at that roster. And you would say, what a hell of a coaching job. Really? I mean, um, the Clipper team that we lost 3-1. Chris Paul didn't play in the first two games and was playing on one leg. Um, And we didn't have home court. And then the last one, to me, is the one we blew. That's the one I said, we blew that. And it was in the bubble. And anything can happen in the bubble. There's no home court. Game seven would have been in L.A., you know. Um, But it just happens. So I would say with me, some of them is I got to do better always. always take my own responsibility. Uh, And then some of it is circumstances happen. You know, this one, let's win it, and we don't have to talk about
1: it. All right, that was Doc Rivers. Josh, good job on turning that audio right around because he just said that a little while ago. So let's break this down real fast. He was asked, look, you've won 3-1 leads. Everybody brings it up to him. And he says, I wish you would put some context behind that. You've said that often as well. Yes, I have. The first time he lost a 3-1 series lead, he was the head coach of the Orlando Magic. They were the 8-seed playing the 1-seed Detroit Pistons. Yep. And if you remember, the next year, they started 1-10 and he got fired.
2: Right. People forget that the... The whole premise of that Magic team has been documented on ESPN film documentaries about how it was supposed to be the first big three, right? it's supposed to be Tim Duncan, Grand Hill, Tracy McGrady. Tim Duncan backed out last minute, went back to San Antonio, Grant Hill joins Tracy McGrady. Grant Hill had that horrible situation with the ankle injury. He went septic. He missed playing basketball for almost three years. So it was T Mac and the Band of Misfit Toys down there in Orlando.
1: Now he said something that's very interesting. He said, "You know, maybe I should have been getting credit for having the eight seed in position to beat the number one seed." And let's keep this in mind contextually. That is in an era where the eight seed just simply did not win. Yes. It's happened, I think, once or twice ever.
2: Well, the most famous one was the Nuggets.
1: Yeah, but Tombo. Yeah. Other than that, did the Sixers, were they the eight when they beat the Bulls a couple of years ago in 2012? I think so. Or the were one they, time. was that a 2-7 or was that a 1-8? It was either 2-7 or 1-8. I mean, right, I know, I mean, I know it was either 2-7 or 1-8. It might have been a 1-8 and the Sixers were the eight and they beat the Bulls, but we all know what happened in that series. Derek Rose got hurt in, in the first game and then Yokim jo- jo- Noah got hurt uh in the second game and the sixers ended up going and winning that series but really the 8 seed never beats the 1 seed in the NBA
2: that was 1-8 yes
1: so it's only happened to my recollection twice. i think it's happened twice ever i got it twice all right so his team would have been the third one ever to win an 8 to 1 matchup and he was up 3-1 in that series now i'm not saying hey how do you not steal a game come on he had the 8 seed they were not the better team. The better team was the Detroit Pistons, and they came back and won that series. To prove they were the better team, or not the better team, the next year, the 8th seed, they started 1-10, and Doc got fired. He went to Boston and Correct. won a championship.
2: And he almost won a second one if Kendrick Perkins didn't get injured. You people forget that series. When the Lakers won that second time, when they faced the Celtics, Celtics won the first matchup, Lakers won the second with that, that group of players— Perkins was locking down Andrew Bynum for half the series. Perk got injured. He couldn't play. And... They had no answer because you had Glenn Big Baby Davis, who was about three, four inches shorter and maybe giving up about 30 pounds to Andrew Bynum, right? which is the reason why the Sixers traded for Bynum in the first place. Hey, listen,
1: I'm not sitting here saying that we can't question this. It's not a topic of conversation. They have blown, or Doc Rivers-led teams have blown 3-1 leads. That was number one. He was the coach of the eight-seeded Magic playing the Pistons. Right. They were up 3-1. They lost that series. Fine. The next one was when he was with the Clippers. Correct. That's the one he mentioned. He mentioned that Chris Paul was hurt and missed, the,
2: he said, the first two games, I think. So Chris Paul jacked up his leg. And it was a season when Paul was injured multiple times because during his run with the Clippers, you know, Paul had a knee injury, an ankle injury, a wrist injury. Chris Paul actually at one point tore the ligament in the stomach and beat as now. So Paul was just banged up that whole run of it. But there was a famous one he's referring to where they had a chance to win and they blew the 3-1 lead. And as he mentioned in the cut, Paul was hobbing around on one leg.
1: Right. So they ended up losing that series. Who did they lose to that year? They're up 3-1. This is in the second round.
2: Yeah, I believe it was the Rockets, but let me double check.
1: And he said they didn't have home court advantage in that series as well. He did mention that. Now, you're up 3-1 with that Clippers team. That's the Lob City, DeAndre Jordan, Mm -hmm. Chris Paul, Blake Griffin. I never liked any of those teams. I didn't think those teams were playoff teams. Like, I think they were more regular season good teams than they were playoff good teams. They don't shoot the ball all that well. Uh, They were just more of a high-flying act if you uh, go back and remember those teams. So that was the second one. And then the third one, he said, that's the one we blew. That's the one. But he said that was in the bubble, and there was no home court advantage. That Wasn't it the one where, where Paul George – was Paul George on that team? Yes. Where Paul George – had said, like, he kind of was ready to get out of that bubble.
2: Right, he didn't want to be there
1: anymore. A lot of the people had some mental, like, you know, I need to get out of this place, like, I haven't seen my family.
2: By the way, pat on the back for me, I remembered it was the Rockets. They, it was the Rockets with James Harden, by the way, mm-hmm. that they blew a 3-1 lead in the series. Yeah, so how did
1: that series go? Remind me here.
2: So it Clippers won game one. Okay. Rockets won game two. Right. Clippers won great game three and game four. All and right. then Rockets went on to win the next, next three. three
1: so when did Paul get hurt because I thought he said in that clip that he got hurt so did he get hurt in the first game or the second game and he kept playing the rest of the series but like on one leg
2: uh give me one second let me pull up these supposed to remember these things I can't remember everything
1: so oh. I got anything internet I have, I have you around for that that's the only reason. <laughs> You're supposed to remember these things.
2: I thought you had me for the fact that I can find stuff on the internet fast.
1: <laughs> no, I find it faster than you half the time, and I'm sitting here with one hand. <laughs> Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gil. Sports Pass brought to you by AC Airport. Plan your next vacation now and create memories that last a lifetime. Start with nonstop flights from Atlantic City to Boston, Atlanta, San Juan, and Miami. Book your low-cost flight at spirit.com. I got a lot of text messages to start off the show. I appreciate your text messages, and I will read them and react. Mike McGarry in... About 17 minutes from now, stick around. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now back to the free ESPN. 229 Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Couple texts coming in. 609 403 0973. If you're listening on the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app, you can message us through the app on your phone. Terry and Galloway says, I think the Philly fans are real enough to know the Sixers aren't getting past the next round, so it doesn't hurt as bad blowing a 3-0 lead. Go Birds. That's one way to look at it, Terry. I think you're kind of right about that, actually. I think the fans have come to realization that uh, without Joel Embiid, you're probably not making a deep playoff. I said it on Saturday, tweeted it out before the game on Monday night. As soon as they made the announcement, and then um, I guess it was Friday when we heard the news that he had some discomfort in his thumb, and then it was, oh, he might have a torn ligament, and then what was confirmed was a torn ligament. At that moment, I said, that's it. Not making a deep playoff run with this.
2: Well, when the initial reports came out, it was one of those deals where we all, you know, you, me, everybody, we're all just in there like, all right, well, can we get a little more information? But then when the Sixers started confirming, yeah, there's something going on with this hand, and then you saw what happened in the game, that's when you were like. Said it before the
1: game. I tweeted that before the game. Sadly, my tweet was, with this injury, the Sixers cannot make a deep playoff run. And then he showed you why.
2: Well, for me, it was after I saw the game. Because, listen, there's a lot of times guys get injured, but they can still do certain things. But once you saw them lose that game, that's when you—that's when for me, and I think a lot of not only them losing the
1: game, it was them losing the game and how he played in the loss. Correct. He was Joel Embiid, but he wasn't the MVP Joel Embiid. Right. He was just, hey, this guy's pretty good, but he wasn't. This guy's dominating. And look around the league right now. What's happening in these playoff series? The stars of the teams that are winning. Are standing on their head, to use a goalie term, and winning the games for these teams, right?
2: And on the flip side, the star of the other team is not getting the job done. Like you saw last night with the Heat Hawks game, Trey Young had a bad game.
1: Trey Young had a horrible series. He was bad the whole series. Well, the first
2: game was the worst of the worst. Yeah. And then he got a little better, and then he just got worse again.
1: Well, John Morant last night, 30 points, game-winning shot. He Stun. had an unbelievable game. He, st- he Basically, you know, mikel Bridges last night, 31 points. Out goes Booker in this series. Who can step up? Bridges steps in. By the way, um... Bridges was drafted by the Sixers, just to throw that out there. By
2: the way, on the, you mentioned the Grizzlies game. You know who disappeared late in the fourth quarter for the Timberwolves? Carl Anthony Towns again.
1: Right. Uh, Tatum had a monster series. Who did not play well? Durant. Right. Luka Doncic, 33 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists the other night. Um, and now Donovan Mitchell's injured. The, the Stars... Giannis, 32.17 rebounds in the game on Sunday. Curry, 33 points. Uh, Even Jokic in the win had 37.8 rebounds, 6 assists. I mean, he's had a monster series. Jimmy Butler, he might be the best player in the playoffs right now, the way he's been going. Now, he didn't play last night. He had 36 points and 10 rebounds. So, the Stars have been having star-like performances. When the Sixers have won, Joel Embiid has been in that conversation. But when the Sixers aren't winning, we're not talking about Joel Embiid having that type of performance. Who had the performance when the Raptors won? It was Siakam. He had 34, right? When you look at the teams that are winning, Jason Tatum, 39 points on Sunday, a Saturday against the Nets, right? Even the game that Timberwolves, you mentioned Carl Anthony Towns. He did not have a good game last night. On Saturday when they won, he had 33 points and 14 rebounds. Right. So, Joel Embiid has to have that night. Very few times is the winning team, and I'm looking back through some of these games, very few times is the team that won is the guy that had the star player, you know, show up. Correct. Trey Young, the game that they did win, that was the best game he had in the series. He had 24 points. Well, Jimmy Butler had 20 that night. And it's not as simple as, well, my guy scored more than yours, Because there is some nights where the losing team has the guy that stands up. But ultimately, the team that wins has a guy who makes the big shot or makes the big play or has the big game. And the games that the Sixers are losing, Joel Embiid, hasn't had him. He hasn't had him. And I'm not blaming him with the injury, but I'm saying, unfortunately, this team can't be where it wants to get to if Joel Embiid does not pick his play up.
2: And don't worry about the fact that you – What we are talking about is a pattern of events in the postseason. There's an obvious standard in the NBA where your star has to be the star for you to win. This isn't an anti mb or an anti-Sixers thing. This is just a stating a fact of life thing.
1: 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. It is the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Mike, this is almost sad with the Sixers from the standpoint that if James Harden was holding up his end of the bargain, the team wouldn't be in this position that they're in. That's over on the text board. How much blame do you put on Harden?
2: I put blame on Harden because of the turnovers, as I said last night on game night. Mike, you're you're a former league MVP. You've been around the league for this long. You can't have back to back games with five turnovers each game. You're supposed to be a professional basketball player, not a, not a rec league player.
1: On a scale of 1 to 10, what's the level of concern? 3-2. We know Doc is the master of blowing the 3-1 leads, although he pushed back on that today, and he said, I wish you would list the context. Mike McGarry will list the context when he joins us next. What's the level of concern? Scale of 1 to 10 for Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. He joins me next. Sixers Raptors tomorrow night. That's on our sister station, Rock 1041. At 7 o'clock, we'll have the NFL Draft here on 97.3.
0: Now, back to my 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's
1: sports leader. All right, 2.40 tomorrow. We're at Slack-Tide Brewery for the Eagles draft party. Someone's going to win a Eagles road trip tomorrow. If you qualified, we'll see you out there. You must be present to win. One lucky winner will be drawn at random tomorrow on the Sports Bash Slack Brewery, Cape Bay Courthouse, reminds you to always drink responsibly. We'll see everybody out there. Tomorrow night, it's the Sixers and the Raptors game number six, and that game is in Toronto. On a scale of one to ten, Mike McGarry, how concerned should the Sixers be? They're up three games to
4: two. Eleven. Oh, man. Come on, eleven. Eleven, and that's being generous. It could be even higher. Well, you
1: could go higher if you so choose. Uh, they're in trouble, uh, and and I,
4: I think they're in big
1: trouble. All right, let's map out the ways. They're down 3-2, obviously. Uh, what has happened in the last two games that has shifted this series?
4: Well, I think you've got the return of Scotty Barnes and a return of a healthy Scotty Barnes. He's been a problem on the offensive end of the floor and, and the defensive end of the floor. You've got the injury to Embiid's thumb, which, you know, has – um limited his effectiveness and limited his ability uh, to go in the post and get the ball in the post as much as he probably should. He's catching the ball a lot all of a sudden at the top of the key when they really need him down low and, and in the post. And, and then you have what appears to be, you know, um, by happenstance, you have Fred Van Vliet out for Toronto. All of a sudden Toronto comes in with bigger guys, a bigger lineup that has proven to be more effective against the Sixers. And you saw, especially in Game 5, the ability of the Toronto big guys to sort of isolate and Embiid on the perimeter, especially in that second half, and go right by them at will. And you have the, the demise of James Harden in front of our eyes, basically.
1: Okay, so there's a lot there. Obviously... The size is something. Let's start with that. Do the Sixers have an adjustment that they can make based on what has happened the last two games? This is a, this is a feel you out. They, the Sixers did something. They won three. The Raptors then did this. They've won two. Does Doc Rivers have another card that he can throw down on the table here?
4: I think all you can do, the size A bothers James Harden. I think the answer is to make them pay on the defensive end of the floor. If they are going to isolate Embiid on the perimeter uh, when the sixes are on defense with six, seven, or six, eight guys, then you've got to put the seven foot Embiid in the post and make them pay for trying to stop him uh, with six, seven, or six, eight guys. So that would be the adjustment. I would make uh, there is try to get the ball inside to Embiid more. Uh, And and then it's the other factor, Mike. I mean, the bench, the Sixers bench is falling apart as we speak. I mean, I don't know what Matisse Thibault, well, he can't play game six, which he was horrible in game five. Uh, You know, B-ball Paul Reed is certainly not doing any favors for you. Shake Milton's not doing any favors for you. So the Sixers bench is also falling apart as we speak. And, and what we're seeing is what we feared before the playoffs started was a young, athletic, long Toronto team causing problems for the Sixers. And it took them three games, but in games four and games five, that's exactly what we've seen.
1: Yeah, um, the the NB thing to me, as soon as I heard about this thumb on, on Friday when the news kind of came out, And then Saturday was confirmed that it was a torn ligament. At that moment, I said, that's it. They might get through this series. Maybe they don't. Maybe they do. But any ideas of a deep playoff run went out the door with that thumb. And he said it on Monday night. He said he's playing with hesitancy that, you know, he says, I need to just let it go, play more freely. But, you know, Mike, you cover athletes. If they pull a hamstring, they're reluctant to, like, let it go because they don't want to feel that hamstring pull again. And he's in the same position. Whatever he's feeling in that dumb, he is reluctant to want to feel what he feels.
4: Yeah, and Doc Rivers pointed that out before Monday night's game or Tuesday night's game, whatever night it was. uh, He said that he had suffered the same injury as a player himself, and he said it almost took him two to three games for him to sort of, like you said, get back to normal, put the injury out of your head and sort of lose the hesitancy, learn how to play with it. Uh, He said it took a two to three game adjustment for him to do that. Now, unfortunately for the 76ers, they might not have two to three games for Embiid to adjust. So he better make that adjustment quicker. I definitely think he wasn't in the post as much as he was early in the season. They did it. This, uh, Doc Rivers made a big point after the Game 5 loss that they didn't get the ball in the paint. They didn't go inside against Toronto. Uh, and a and, and big part of that is getting the ball to Embiid in the paint where he can make those six where he can punish those six seven six eight guys to me it's like you're watching utah jazz play in the playoffs right and rudy gobert teams lure him away from the basket and drive by him and everything but gobert isn't good enough to make you pay on the offensive end of the floor so you almost teams play gobert off the floor in the playoffs this the toronto in the second half uh of game five went by Embiid at will. The answer to that is for Embiid, who is an offensive force to dominate on the offensive end of the floor. And he wasn't able to do that in game five. Was it the thumb? I don't know, probably, but it's a problem either way. I I
1: would almost say too, Mike, to me, it's a bigger problem on defense. He does not want to use that thumb to alter shots, block shots. Stick his hand in the passing lanes to get steals. He's an active guy on defense. It was Ole, man. He was letting guys get past him, and he's trying to catch it from the backside with his left hand because he doesn't want to use that right hand.
4: Yeah, I I mean, and uh, yeah, I I mean, I was surprised of all the games I've seen Embiid play, and and he's obviously a tremendous defensive player. And even he admitted after the game it was probably the worst defensive game I've ever seen him play. They went right after him. How many
1: times what was you, that? How many times Mike have you seen a team's game plan to go right at him
4: Right right they definitely do not fear him they they got him one on one on the perimeter and and went right around him and uh you know he admitted he was bad afterwards uh, again, that that's a problem. That's the matchup problem that, you know, Toronto presents. I mean, how many other teams have six, seven, six, eight guys that size who can go like Toronto has off the dribble and Siakam and Barnes? Not many, but it's, it's a problem right now.
1: Let me ask you, if Barnes is healthy the whole time, Gary Trent Jr. is healthy the whole time, where's this series at right now?
4: We might be looking at 3-2 the opposite way. I mean, I I think Barnes is a tremendous factor. Obviously, in Game 1, Sixers come out and smoke him right. That's fine. But Barnes misses Game 2 and Game 3. And, you know, you talk about recovering from injuries. You know, he plays better in Game 4, and I thought he played great the other night. And I think he's a matchup problem on the offensive end of the floor. He's a matchup problem on the defensive end of the floor. You're talking about a guy, Mike. He, he plays, he's, he's the point, he was playing point guard the other night. He can play point guard. He can play power forward. If he gets caught in a, you know, an, an offensive switch with, uh, a, and he's one on one with Embiid, he can go by him. He, he, he can out muscle harden the smaller players. I mean, I don't think you'd overestimate what he meant to Toronto's team and, and how well he played the other night and having him healthy. And the other guy you write is is Gary Trent Jr. I mean, he was sick. I mean, didn't he leave game two with zero points and, and he left sick in the second quarter and didn't return? So now yeah. you have a Toronto team that that's getting healthy. And the one injury they have, keeping Fred Van Fleet out in this series might work because it forces him to play a bigger lineup, which is giving the Sixers fits.
1: I was going to ask you, what do you do if you're Nick Nurse and Van Vliet says, I, now it says he probably can't play in this game anyway, but what would you do in that situation if it's a game seven? Van Vliet's your all-star, he's a champion. Do you tell him, sorry, you're the wrong guy, I, you're going to shit this one out?
4: Yeah, exactly. I don't know what you you tell them, "See, take your time coming back. Put the heating pad on, you know. Get get some more ice or something like that." So, you know, I think you've got to go with what works right now, and what works is this big athletic lineup for Toronto. And again, I come back to before the series started, that that's what scared me about Toronto was their athletic wings and and how young and and I thought they would cause a problem for Philadelphia. Now, having said that, I I picked the Sixers to win the series. I I think the Sixers will be in trouble Thursday night. I do, however, think that they come back Saturday in Game 7 and just figure out a way to get through it.
1: Wow. Um, Give me your – Mark Jackson was on yesterday, and he believes that James Harden um, will have a, a game, that there's still a game in him that we haven't seen yet. Do you think that Harden has this game hanging in the balance? Is there two days to stew and think about it? He's been getting a little, hey, I, he's got to shoot more. He's got to be more aggressive. Does that seem like um, that he's got a big game in him?
4: Well, he better, but so far we haven't seen it, and it's really been a, a, a straight line almost down since towards the you know the last couple of weeks of the regular season. I got to admit, Mike, I, I was a Harden guy. I thought the trade was a good idea. I was in favor of giving him the the contract extension, but I look at the way he's playing now and and watching the way he played the other night, and I just say, boy, I mean, there's there's something wrong here. Uh, Either he's out of shape, he's injured, or he's just completely a shell of the player he was even even last year, basically. He has almost lost it overnight. And if the Sixers were to lose this series, there's a lot of basketball futures, Doc Rivers and James Harden's right at one and one a that are going to be altered by what happens in the next, uh, you know, by by the next three to four days. Yeah, there's
1: no question uh you know, if. They lose this game Thursday, and you're back on Friday, Mike. We're talking about what's the future of Doc Rivers. Does Daryl Morey sign? I mean, they don't want to go. I can't even imagine uh, the anarchy that would happen if they lost a Game 7 at home for the second straight year.
4: Yeah, I don't, want, I don't know if I want to go to that point yet. If they were to get out of this series in seven games, okay, so be it. And then they go play a Miami Heat team that again. Now, a lot of people now are like, oh, the Sixers struggled with Toronto. They'd have no problem against the Miami Heat. I think completely the opposite. The Heat is banged up a little bit themselves. Jimmy Butler missed last night. Kyle Lowry's been slowed by injuries. The Heat have a problem scoring in a lot of games. So I think the Sixers would be right there with them. Uh, You know, I don't think that's a walkover series for the Miami Heat at all. I think that's a series the Sixers could win if they got past Toronto here. But uh, you're right. If something were to go wrong and they were to blow a three nothing lead, boy, you could almost make a case that the Sixers should think about you know, not blowing it up and starting over, but definitely going in a different direction. And awfully tough to hand James Harden $250 million after you blow a 3-0 lead to the Toronto Raptors with the way he's playing.
1: Doc Rivers uh, was asked today, 3-1 series leads. He says, I wish you had put context behind that. I had an eight-seeded Magic team that had the number one seed down three games to one. Why don't people say I coached a good series to have the eight? seed up three games to one instead of saying that i blew a 3-1 series lead in the second one he said chris paul was playing on one leg and they didn't have home court advantage that that played a big role and in the third one he said yes that's the one that bites me we were in the bubble though and the bubble was a different animal so these 3-1 games is this a doc thing or is it just
4: circumstances yeah. Yeah, sometimes I think Doc would be best service by uh, not explaining himself and and owning his his record. It it just seems to me that a lot of times, Doc Rivers spends a lot of times in press conferences explaining to you why Doc Rivers was not the problem and whatever just happened in in the game or in the past, and and he's doing that again. You've got a ready-made excuse here. You can say, okay – If they were to blow this, add it to the list. Hey, Embiid tore his thumb. What were we going to do? You know, this and that. I mean, it is professional sports. It is not college sports. It is not high school sports. It is not youth sports. It is professional sports. The only goal is to win. You either win or you lose. There are no explanations that come after it. It's either a W or an L. There's not a note on it saying L, but... Uh, This is professional sports. People are paid for a living. Doc Rivers makes an awful lot of money, and it just seems to me that Doc Rivers spends an awful lot of time explaining why Doc Rivers' teams fail to achieve what a lot of people thought they would have
1: achieved. Well, you can put it all to rest. Thursday night in Toronto, the Sixers have won once in Toronto. Can they do it twice, Thursday night, that game will air on our sister station, Rock 1041. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City will be back on Friday to recap all the action and maybe preview game number seven. We'll talk to you then, man. All right, we'll see you down the road. Thank all right, you. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City at AC Press McGarry. Good to have him back, of course. He'll be back on Friday as we uh, take a look back at the series. It could be a closeout, or we could be previewing game number seven. When we come back, how did the Sixers get out of Toronto with a win? We'll break it down from all angles. We'll give you the betting numbers. What does the betting number suggest about the game Thursday night? That's next. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. You can download it wherever you get your apps
0: this is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, just after three,
1: Sports Bash. I'm Mike Gill. You can follow me on Twitter, at Mike Show. Sports Bash brought to you by your Delaware Valley Acura dealers. With new inventory arriving daily, find your award-winning local Acura dealership today. Check out Acura's lineup today at Val accurate Dealers.com. Uh Ryan Ralstein is the host of the Philadelphia City cast. We're going to take a look at uh, this matchup from a lot of different angles. I want to kind of start, Rye, with what the betting line is, where it is, and what it says about where they think this series is is going uh thursday night in toronto and where's the money line uh what's the the number on this series right now so what do we got on that because i think that's a very you know we've been asking people like on a scale of one to ten what's your you know uh (laughs) where are you right now in terms of um whoo a a lot of people are about eight or over in terms of being level of concern what is the numbers what are the betting numbers say and i think that could help people manage where their number should be. What's your number? Uh, I don't know if that's going to
5: help people manage it, but uh, mine's a 10. You're a 10? right now. Wow! Yeah.
1: A 10! Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Alright, I'm Absolutely. writing it down. Pete Thompson, 8.5. Ryan Rothstein, 10. I'm a 10.
5: I, th- there's no reason to... L- listen, for the moment, right now, today, I'm a 10. I, I just... Well, we'll get into it. Let me get, let me give you some betting info, right? Before I get on a, a rant and, uh, spill my heart out to you. Uh, the 76ers to win the series right now, minus 625, the Raptors to win the series. And this is all per Bet Rivers, right? The, the Philadelphia City Cast is powered by Bet Rivers Sportsbook in Pennsylvania. So these are the numbers I'm going off of. But wherever you look, if they're different, it's not going to be a whole lot different. Um, any, anywhere and everywhere, any state. So, uh, 625 minus 625 for the Sixers, the Raptors now plus 440 to win the series at Bet Rivers. That is a appalling number and that should fuel your concern if you're a 76ers fan. Now, just about 12 to 24 hours ago. Uh the Raptors were five to one. So, you know, not earth shattering movement there, Mike. But if you get under five to one for a team that's down three two in the series that was once down three oh, uh, we all know the stat. It's not even a stat, but I mean it is, but it is isn't. No team has ever come back from a three de- oh deficit. That's that's not gonna last forever, right? So why not it be right a Glenn Rivers led team? That becomes the first, and it just has become a snowball effect for the Sixers. I'll get into correct score prices real quick. So I gave you to win, but the Sixers to win 4-2 to is the favorite, so that should be a little bit reassuring at minus 125, not much. Uh, Sixers to win in 7, plus 190, and then Raptors to win in 7 is the same as the series price at plus
1: 440. All right, so there's a lot here. Yeah. (laughs) Number one, um, the 440 number, I'm a little surprised. I actually thought it would be a little closer. I thought it would be more like uh, plus, like 275 plus 300 in that range. Okay.
5: Um, what makes you think that? I mean, you have to look at it this way. The Raptors have to win. <laughs> I mean, it's Captain Obvious statement, but they have to win two games. So,
1: Well, the way you said it, you shouldn't be at a 10 then. Well, they have to win two games. No, just from the betting standpoint, I'm getting to it. Like, if it, if you take them on the money line
5: tomorrow night, and then roll it over for Game Seven, that should come out right around four to one or five to one because they're going to be a slight dog in both of those games. Yeah, so that's yeah. sort of the process.
1: What's the number tomorrow? Last I saw, Toronto was a favorite one and a half
5: yeah I've heard that from a few different people on a few different books. Um, at Bet Rivers and PA, the 76ers they're still the betting favorite uh, for, for game six. they're one and a half point favorites uh, against the spread money line minus 121 Raptors plus 105 to win
1: outright okay real quick just to have some com- you know to co- comparable things uh, Draft Kings has the sixers at minus 800 Raptors plus 550. Yep. So you can get a little bit of a different price and, and I'm sure if you looked at FanDuel and and Caesars and all of them, they might be all over the place. But the point of it is, is that these books think the Raptors are in this series. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now um, did you hear Doc Rivers today when he was asked about the three one series leads? I did not. I've been so busy recording. If you have that audio, I'd I'd like to hear it. I do have the audio. I'll play it for you now. Here you go. This was Doc Rivers today. He said, Doc, somebody asked him, Doc, 3-1 series, you've been in this situation, hasn't gone all that well. He got a little defensive when he was asked about the 3-1 pass collapses. Take a listen.
3: Well, it's easy to use me as an example, uh, but I wish I would tell the whole story with me. All right? Um... My Orlando team was the HC. No one gives me credit for getting up against the Pistons who won the title. That was an HC. Go look at that. I want you to go back and look at that roster. I, I dare you to go back and look at that roster and you would say, what a hell of a coaching job. Really. I mean, um, the Clipper team that we lost 3-1. Chris Paul didn't play in the first two games and was playing on one leg um and we didn't have home court and then the last one to me is the one we blew that's the one I said we blew that and that was in the bubble and anything can happen in the bubble there's no home court game seven would have been in LA you know um but it just happened. so I would say with me some of them is we got I got to do better always always take my own responsibility uh and then some of it is circumstances happen
1: all right that was Doc Rivers he said the first one you know, we were the eight seed. The Pistons went on to win the NBA championship that year. They were the number one seed. You know, we were up 3-1. We really shouldn't even have been in that spot. We should have been credited for doing a good job, not being criticized for blowing a 3-1 lead with the eight seed. Are you okay with that? No, it's excuses. It's BS. Dude, do you not get
5: the whole point? You're up 3-1. I don't care about you. The whole point is when you're up 3-1, Mike, you know this, but... I'll explain, like when you're up 3-1, you just win one out of three games, dude. When you get to that point, I don't care if you're the eighth seed. I don't care who was hurt in previous games. It's all excuses from a top 15 coach of all time. I know Pop would never give those excuses.
1: Probably not. Um, You know, the other one, he said Chris Paul didn't play the first two games. We weren't even the home court on that one. And when he did come back, he was basically playing on one leg. He had a bad hamstring that he missed time before the playoffs with. And they end up blowing a 3-1 series lead to James Harden and the Rockets. Right. I mean, once again, it's all excuses. The the point is, when you have a
5: 3-1 series lead, so, you're right, far and away in a better position to win.
1: All right. So we get that part of it now. So what role is Doc playing in that the, these teams what is the, the the common denominator I guess what keeps well, happening? outside of Doc
5: <laughs> right I mean it's you know I don't know I don't know man I'm not in the locker room but when when you take multiple different routes right like we all have GPS apps and you have options to take a different route And everyone still leads you to the same destination, which is Doc Rivers in this analogy. I don't know who else to point my finger at. Like, man, what a crazy coincidence. I understand it's different situations, different players, different teams. Not many teams have done this, have choked uh, to this magnitude. So I don't know. Is it his culture? Is it how he coaches went ahead Does the team lack urgency? Does he lack creativity? That's an interesting
1: question because I was reading a whole article about this, okay, about him blowing the 3-1 series leads. That was written, I guess, when he blew another one. And part of it was that, you know, you mentioned the culture. And that so much he gets credit for creating these good cultures. In other words, like, they blew the 3-1 series lead and there was some talk about Kawhi leaving. And they said, no, Kawhi only wanted to come back because he wanted to play for Doc, because he creates this culture. So that's why I'm like, is it the culture that is created? Maybe he's too lax or maybe, you know, but, like, it seems that he has created a culture that, you know, we differ on how important the coach is and what role they play. Where I value the coach is... The Sixers were on pace to win 52 games before they traded for James Harden. Is that a bad coach? Or is that, oh, how the hell was that roster winning 52 games? How do you look at it? And what role does the coach have? Because I people are the first to say it's he's the problem. It's his fault. But if I say, well, they were on pace to win 52 games. Well, he sucks. (laughs) No, listen, I
5: I think Doc's a good coach, right? Like, I'm not saying he's an absolute joke, but... We all know this, whether you're a coach or an athlete, when you get to a certain level, right? When you get to a level even of greatness, your ability to close and your ability and your legacy then becomes, what do you do in the playoffs? Like that that's on all athletes, all star athletes and all big coaches that are leading teams that have potential greatness in them. Uh, and when there's a consistent track record of choking – you have to look at everyone involved. The players are are not uh, are not getting a hall pass either. Well, sometimes, right? You, like,
1: right, right. Sometimes you choke or you overachieve, and then you end up choking because you overachieved. Yeah, I you're think damned that's if you do, you're damned if you don't. Like I think in the Orlando situation, they overachieved, and then they didn't close the deal. They weren't really supposed to be in that spot. The next year, that team started 1-10, and, and he got fired. I mean, they wear the eight seed. They're up 3-1. They start 1-10 and, and get fired. So, I don't know. I think it's like a, it's you're damned if you do your damned. You- I get up 3-1 with a lesser team, and then I can't close a deal. Well, Why can't I close a deal? Because I don't have closers. My team's not good enough. I shouldn't be here.
5: Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. But I think the other part is, how do you respond when you get punched in the mouth?
1: Like, Stan Van Gundy tweeted the other day. Did you see his tweet? Yeah about, you know, sometimes coaches are doing stuff that you're not recognizing. It doesn't mean they're not doing something. Sometimes you mm-hmm. just aren't good enough. Kendrick yeah. Perkins said the same thing. He asked the other day on first day, what do you want Doc Rivers to do? He just doesn't have the personnel to match up with what's going on right now. He's trying different things, and they just don't have it, meaning— I don't buy that, though, Mike. Okay, so my buy- next question I was going to ask is, meaning, do the Sixers have now— The Raptors kind of asked backwards into losing Van Vliet, which then allowed them to get bigger. So in 2019, this happened. The Sixers made the adjustment. Brett Brown went with a a smaller lineup. So the Raptors doubled up with Abaca and Gasol. The problem was the Sixers couldn't counter that. They didn't have anywhere else to go. They made their adjustment. The Raptors adjusted to that, and the Sixers were out of weapons. They just didn't have another bullet. So the question becomes Van Vleet goes out, they get bigger. So, what can the Sixers now do to combat that?
5: Nothing, because they don't need to combat it. And this is where it, like, let's just look ahead, hypothetical. If the 76ers and Doc Rivers collectively lose this series, there is no excuses to be made. He'd this be is fired. on Doc. By the way, What's be, that? he'd be fired immediately. Yeah, of course. Um, that would be an epic like what were we all saying both of us included when this team was up three up I mean come on they're just much more talented than this Toronto Raptors team it's not even close the talent level is is eye-opening how much of a difference it is what happens when they blow a three zero series lead when they're that much more talented it's just simply the past two games effort heart passion urgency none of it's there so I I don't know who to blame. Pick a card, any card. No, I'll tell you, deserves to listen, be one of the first. As
1: someone who's coached a lot, there are many times when you are trying to get more out of someone and they don't have it to give or it's not resonating. And you could say, well, that's on you. Maybe. Sure. I mean, it, it, to me, sometimes if you have to scream and yell and pull something out of someone, I said the same thing. How is a guy making that? Where's your self-pride that it... A closeout game on your home court, this is the effort you give. After, in a game
5: four spot, where, like, okay, fine. Toronto got a win in in a 3-0 hole, backs against the wall at home.
1: You played like crap, right? Like the Sixers didn't show up. And almost mocked the fact that you played like crap. You got a golf clap coming off the court like, oh, good job. That was cute. We're not coming back here. So after all that, it's, all right, we get home. I'm cranking it up another notch. You didn't crank it up a notch. You cranked it down a notch. They did. And I didn't think it would be able to get
5: cranked down any lower. And then once again, after the game, after game five, Joel Embiid sitting there saying, and I liked it, like the confidence and the calmness, but I also don't. And what he says to the media, it doesn't matter. He could be different behind closed, closed doors. I understand all of that. He's saying, we'll be fine. Like, we're fine. We're going to take care of business, blah, blah, blah. I also would have liked, we're playing like bleep. We need to step it up. And I promise you we'll be better because this is unacceptable. And and maybe he's thinking that, maybe he said that not to the media, but that's how he better be thinking because this Toronto team now is playing with house money and they have all the momentum.
1: Yeah. Now, look, you take a look at what Toronto, I I mentioned this multiple times, what Toronto did, they went bigger. But my big problem in this series has been you shot over 40% from three for four games in a row, one of which you lost. How many games in a row are you going to shoot over 40% before the iron finally becomes unkind? Well, 27%. They got looks. They just didn't make them. So is it a, hey, we got open looks. If we get those looks again, we just need to make our shots. No,
5: not from game five. Because game five was was horrific. Game five was... it. It, it, it is a factor on how you get your shots. Like, it was... They're pushing the wings way out. They're catching the ball way too far from the three-point line. They're not getting Joel Embiid the ball where he needs to get it in his spots. They're pushing Joel uh, away from his spots. And then there's like seven seconds on the shot clock. Then it's one or two passes, three-point shot. That's not. There's no rhythm. There's no rhyme or reason to that offense. So you can jack up shots. Even if 15 of them are open, it's more difficult to make them when you're out of sync and you're not in rhythm as an offense. So they need to just play with more urgency and more reason and purpose offensively. That's how I look at.
1: Yep. Look, that was one of my big concerns. They hit 50% in the first game, 49% in the second game. They were up over 40 in game three and up over 40 in game four. I kept saying one of these games, they're just going to not shoot the ball very well. And we talked about it maybe on your podcast um, about, What happens when they don't shoot well? Well, you need more from Embiid. The one game in game three where they weren't shooting all that well, they're still over 40%, but that was the game Embiid hit the three to win the game, and he started to hit all these crazy shots. They had to go to more. I don't know that they can do that now if they're not shooting well with this hand problem. No, I I don't think they can either,
5: and and that's the biggest – that's the leader in the clubhouse as to why I think a lot of fans, including myself, think – Man, this can actually happen right now because not only have the Sixers gotten punched in the mouth here, but their star is hobbled, not literally with a thumb. Uh, and, and they're just, they're just second guessing everything they do. They're very indecisive. They talked about defense after the game, doc included. And I'm sitting there saying Toronto was terrible offensively. They just played with more passion and intensity. The Sixers could have won that game with four minutes to go after playing 38 minutes of terrible ball, they just could never turn it on for like a two-minute stretch. I just need to see that in game six, and they should be able to win.
1: Okay, I, I do agree with your premise, and I think I saw that tweet. But Toronto had no fear of taking the ball to the basket against Embiid. I never saw a team whose game plan was, hey, let's go after number 21. He seems to stink because they went right after him. He's afraid to use that hand.
5: Yeah, no, he is. And that's, I don't think there's any coach or thought or game plan in the world that can fix that. But a lot of it is off of the misses on the Sixers end offensively. And then the Raptors are doing what they, what their strength is, getting out in, in the open floor, getting out in transition off of the opponent's misses. So that's why that attacking looked, I think, even better than it has.
1: Um, did you hear, I, I didn't hear this because I don't know that. NBC Sports Philadelphia stayed on the air long enough to air Joel's press conference. So I never heard Joel talk after the game. Did you? I didn't I didn't watch it live, but I saw some clips. Um,
5: and one clip of him talking about the defense.
1: Okay, well, this is the one that stands out to me. And this is Gina Mizell, who covers the Sixers for the Inquirer. She's new, uh, so I'm not all that familiar with her work. But her tweets speak the volumes to me. And Bede said this, I'm in a situation where I am trying to protect it. Before I even attack or if I go get the ball, it's almost like I'm not playing freely, where I'm like, well, if I do this, I might get hit or I might get hurt. Mentally, I've just got to get out of that. And I guess I hope for the best and just be myself and not think about which move can put me in a bad position to get hit or get hurt even more. That right there tells you everything you need to know. That's what's on his mind. He knows. He's definitively telling you, I'm not playing the way I want to play because I'm afraid that my thumb's going to hurt. Absolutely. But
5: what happened to the Joel Embiid in the first quarter of Game 5? Like, he came out, he was getting getting to his spots, making shots. He had like 10 or 12 points in the first quarter. I still believe – I'm not saying he's making excuses. I know this is a big deal for him, and rightfully so. But this this Sixers team, as a team collectively, they still should be able to figure it out and get one more win here in the next two. Like, I, I can't use his thumb – it's going to be a factor, but I can't use it as a fair reason to them losing this series.
1: All right. Uh, so, with all of that, let's uh, take a quick timeout. When we come back, how do – They get that win. What do they do to close this out? What do they do to make this happen? Because we keep talking about what hasn't happened. How do they get this done? How do they? Because it's got to end Thursday night. You cannot go to Saturday. By the way, game one of round two will start on Tuesday night. That has been announced against the Miami Heat. Sports Bash is live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. We're brought to you by the AC Airport. Plan your next vacation now. Create memories to last a lifetime. Start with nonstop flights from AC to Boston, Atlanta, San Juan, and Miami. Book your low-cost flight at spirit.com. Now on 97.3 ESPN.
0: 327 Sports
1: Bash 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. Uh, Ryan Rothstein is the host of the Philadelphia City Cast. You can download that wherever you listen to your podcast. You can get that five days a week. They took a look at the betting angles from the Philadelphia sports teams. And uh, the Sixers are, according to Bet Rivers, what are they, a a a point-and-a-half favorite? Point-and-a-half favorite for for game six, yep. All right. Well, let's uh, take a look at some positive stuff here, why don't we? You have have those available? say you have anything. Um, (laughs) All right. They lost two games, and they did it because Joel Embiid seemed to be hesitant. James Harden, seemingly not an aggressive guy right now. We're getting this whole talking through the media to try to get through players. That didn't end so well the last time this went down. But Joel Embiid saying, hey, it's not my job. That's the coach's job. He's got to try to get him. So is James does James Harden have a big game interim in him, or is this the guy he now is? What do we see? What do we know?
5: It's the guy he now is, man. You know, and, and there's been a lot of hate or, you know, critiques on Harden, however you want to phrase it. But I, I don't know. I, I don't look at him as at least the problem for this series, Mike. Right? Like, the issue to me is how they're playing collectively, offensively like it's just it's bad it's just really bad basketball right now i i don't know what james harden can do individually to to be better i I just think he's forcing and pressing a little bit from beyond the arc uh this team needs maxi to get in more of a rhythm and tobias harris where did the tobias from games one and two go mike
1: good question i mean i think we were all surprised at that tobias harris weren't we so it's not surprising (laughs) that he's not that he's not here so I think the bigger question is what happened to Maxie? And I know he's 21. It's hard, but yeah, sometimes to me, that's a tough one. I mean, there are young kids all over the league that you're like, you never even heard of this guy. He's doing things. And you're like, hey, these guys are performing. These guys are playing big. These guys are stepping up. I know Maxie did. He did it. But I almost feel like it's going to come down to putting putting it on his shoulders if they want to get through this series. Because I, I agree with you. I don't know that James Harden has a 35... Po- the Sixers need someone to have that 35-point game. And I don't think it's Harden, and I'm not sure this version of Embiid is the guy. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I don't know. Like, they can't literally put it on
5: his shoulders. It is on his shoulders, like, to to have a big night. But if you're Doc, right, like, what, what are you doing to take the ball out of Joel Embiid's hands? I'm not even saying they should do that, but... You know, I I don't know what what the adjustment is. You brought that up earlier. We talk about it a lot when when I come on. Like for you, what is the necessary adjustment, or what is the recipe to a
1: win here? One more win. Um, all right. My one move that I think, or I actually have two, but I, I the one that I think is doable is they had this a couple times. Maxi didn't have a big game, but when he scored. They seem to get it set up where they came out screened for him at the top and had to get in the, on jo, for Joel, where Joel would be the screener, and Birch got stuck on Maxi. Maxi goes right by Birch. Birch can't keep up with him, so you got to pull Birch from the basket. I know that ticks people off because generally he's defending Embiid, and that means Embiid's not in the paint. But you're bringing Embiid out to the wing area. Using the screen for Birch to get switched on to Maxi, and Maxi can hit that corner and get by Birch. So I think they gotta try to get Birch away from the basket when he's in the game. That's one way. When he's in the game, same with Achua. Achua is a little bit more athletic than Birch is, but in the minutes that Birch plays, you almost have to treat him like uh, Van Vliet, where you're you're trying to find ways to get him put on. A player, And that player, I think, has to be Maxi. I think Maxie's the one that has to, you know, get mad. Now, Burch doesn't play a whole heck of a lot of minutes. But when he's out there, he's somebody you need to go after. It's like when the Sixers had Monroe play nine minutes. Burch, if he's going to play 10, he's got to be like a minus 16 in those right. minutes. So that's one thing for me. The other one is, look, if I'm Joel Embiid... I gotta just say for one day, give it to me. Give it to me, man. I I I, you know, he said, Hey, I gotta I'm being hesitant. I gotta just start from the beginning. And if it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. (laughs) You know, like it is what it is. I know. Because what they're doing is they are trying to make him make quicker decisions now because they know that thumb hurts. So as soon as he gets the ball, that double's coming hard. Where before they were trying to disguise it. And it was giving him more time to look around and take it. They're not giving him any time because they wanted to feel that and then get it out and feel it again. Yeah, I know.
5: And it's like, do we put Embiid? Do we try and get him on the post more because he is so dominant there and he's going to get fouled? Or, like, I like your, your idea. I, I like the idea of go, go study some Denver Nuggets film and use Embiid as a point center, a point forward at the top of the key. And have people cutting off the wings on baseline, whatever it may be, and have like, all right, if you want to come double impede, fine, but he's going to be isolated and taken away from the basket where it's going to create opportunities for his teammates. I think that's one interesting point. The other, I will bring up defense, despite me saying it's not a big issue. I like going matchup zone. They went a lot to it in game five. Throw that in the trash because the lack of urgency does not bode well with your guys standing around in a zone. You need to man up now.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you got guys who are not talking to each other. In a zone, you got to talk to each other. You got guys lost. It's almost like they haven't played a zone since high school. Yeah, exactly. And it's
5: the the other issue and where you become vulnerable when you play a zone defensively is giving up offensive rebounds. And that's what Toronto does so well. They're just filling the lanes of the
1: zone and going and getting misses. And if you're going to play a zone, Thiebault's got to be in the zone, and he's not there on Thursday night. Yeah, I mean, because that's I, a, that's an area that, though. That's an area where Thiebault excels. I mean, he he's an okay on. People act like he's some great on ball defender. He's not a great ball defender. He's very good at getting in passing lanes. He pokes you from the backside. He takes a lot of chances, but he's not a great one on one
6: defender.
5: I think he's. I think he's a really good on-ball defender, but I get what you're saying. He he excels as like that free safety. I think I said a couple of weeks ago to you where he can just roam and and cause uh cause havoc. But he's such a liability on offense, man. Yeah, he where, me nuts. where he
1: made his bones at Washington was playing in that zone. So if you're gonna run a zone, he better be a part of that zone. They're running zone the other night, and he's not out there. But he yeah, was, because he was, he was so dude. bad offense. He. Dude, I don't know what happened. I mean, obviously, he probably feels like an outcast at this point. I'm I'm sure that they probably – somebody probably gave him the cold shoulder, and he just feels like – you know, he's a timid guy to begin with.
5: Yeah, he is, and he's not great offensively to begin with. So this whole situation certainly ain't
1: helping. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. All right, we will – you know, there's a lot going on. The Heat – they close out last night. Celtics, they've closed out. You're starting to see some closeouts. A couple great games last night. The Memphis game had me. Oh, that game was awesome. Awesome. We'll get into what's uh, going on in the NBA playoffs. Sixers tomorrow. Philly's lineup is out. They look for three in a row against the Rockies. All that and more. Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. And the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. We're back with more Sports Bash. Stick around. Now, back to the sports ESPN.
3: I miss. Tell him I'm Harlem, Oh, oh,
1: oh. All right, 341 Harlem, Sports Bash 97.3 we'll ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. Ryan goes. Rossine is the host of the Philadelphia City Cast. He joins me till the top of the hour. Uh, Philly's starting lineup goes like this today. Herrera in center, leading off. Hoskins, Harper is still the D H. Castellanos in right, Schwarber's in left. Home at third. Didi at short. Camargo's playing second. Stubbs is the catcher, that's Ranger Suarez who's on the mound tonight for the Philadelphia Phillies, who have won uh, two straight now. All of a sudden, uh, the offense starting to heat up. Colorado's defense is terrible, uh, but Herrera had the big game last night. He goes to the leadoff spot tonight. No Segura in the lineup you're going to see stubs behind the plate uh so there you go there's your phillies lineup tonight against the colorado rockies i like these little 645 starts yeah i don't mind them i uh
5: you know that 15 minutes is a game changer it does right it's crazy how 15 minutes makes a big deal i think they should keep it i know they don't it's only for april and
1: i think early may right but yeah they're not they're getting rid of it i think uh, very shortly yeah. maybe they'll reconsider yeah, maybe, probably not, but maybe, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> um, got any thoughts on the uh, draft tomorrow night? You uh, like have somebody you're into, somebody you want? Um,
5: something you think I don't might know. happen? I mean, it depends on. Like I, the, the the tough thing is, we don't know how it's going to go, right? Like you, this is you one read of the most listen to so many different people that cover the draft. Like, what's going to happen in front of the Eagles? That's obviously going to have such a big
1: impact. I mean, you can say that any year.
5: But I think this year, no, this especially, is pretty wide open.
1: There's not even a consensus number one. No. it's No. I think it's lining up to be one of the more bizarre, wild first rounds just because when a guy gets taken, you're going to be like, whoa, Like I didn't expect that or I didn't expect this. And the Eagles having two picks just adds to it. I think it's going to be just a, a super fun night of first round because of the two picks. I don't anticipate them making picks in – those two spots, but I think they'll make two picks.
5: Yeah, I mean, we all know how he likes to move around, uh, so move around. So I just don't think he's uh, he's going to end up with 15 and 18. I will say this. I don't want him to get a wide receiver.
1: You're out on the receiver.
5: Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't see a receiver, and I'm sure a couple of these guys are going to pan out, but there's nothing that really excites me. Uh, I know they need another one. Like, I get it. But I'm good with an edge rusher or even a D tackle like a Jordan Davis if he's still available
1: somehow. That's what I would prefer. I actually, I think if they stay at 15 and they just stay there, don't trade, I think they're going to take a receiver.
7: Yeah,
1: that's what it seems like. Just because. Do you have a a preference? I've heard, uh, what's the London kid
5: from USC. He's the one
1: guy I don't want.
5: He's the one guy you don't want. Yeah,
1: I'll take Traylon Burks. I like Jameson Williams. Olave is okay. Garrett Wilson was my favorite a couple weeks ago. I've since liked seemingly have – I feel like I like Burks a little better. Well, Jamison Williams did say today that the Eagles told him they want him to play with Devontae Smith, so we'll see what that means. Will he be on the board? Would they trade up for him? I wouldn't be surprised if they made a deal similar to what they did last year with Miami. Yeah, you feel like Howie's going to do something. Like especially with two
5: picks, dude. This is this is his wheelhouse. Well, keep man. in mind, this is what he
1: lives for. Keep in mind, what they did with Miami last year. They have the Miami's pick now this year. I wouldn't be surprised if they try to get another pick in next year's draft. I know they already got one, but I wouldn't be surprised if they try to get a third because. Then you can really be in the game for the quarterback. If your quarterback doesn't play well, you can move up in this one. So I think Carolina and the Giants are two teams to keep in mind, keep eyes on for draft day with the Eagles moving up and then doing something like similar to what they did with the Dolphins, like a very similar type of of trade. There, that's that's my premonition today.
5: All right, I like it, man. It's a bold, it's a bold, uh, bold strategy. <laughs> that's what we'll I'm. See doing. how it works out for him. I'm curious to see what Doug does in Jacksonville too.
1: Yeah, oh and if I'm Jacksonville, I'm trade now that pick. I already got my quarterback. There's not a quarterback in this draft. I'm not gonna draft the defensive end number one just to take a somebody to get out of that spot. Yeah. Uh or you go oh tackle. You shock the world. Well you can move back to do that's what I'm saying. Like you don't need to yeah. stay number one. Go back, you know, a couple spots. I don't know who wants number one though, because that's the problem. There's no quarterback to take number one.
5: Yeah, it doesn't seem like any team's dying to, you know, be the first team on the uh On the clock.
1: Yeah. Uh, NBA last night, uh, the Hawks just – Trey Young was awful. Whole series, man. I tweeted out when this happened, like, hey, they got through the play-in round. It was probably the last matchup. And I still think it was the last matchup the Heat wanted. Like, I think if they could have picked someone, hey, I'll take Cleveland or I'll take Charlotte. I don't want to play the Hawks if I don't have to. Nobody wants to have to play Trey Young. But they did a masterful job of taking – he was terrible – the whole series. Yeah, he was. And, and I've, like, you've heard some picks
5: going into round one. Like, oh, I like Atlanta. Watch out for Atlanta. Like, they weren't, Atlanta's not the Atlanta of last year. And, and you still don't want to face Trey Young, like you said, MG. I agree with you. But I, I think it's two things. They're not the Atlanta of last year. And Miami continues to still get, like, slightly overlooked. Miami is tough. They are tough.
1: Yeah, though, they're deep. They're deep. And for them to win the game, look, Ola Depot barely plays for them. And he was the best player on the court last night. <laughs> right. that, that's a great luxury to have, having a guy like that, uh that you can turn to and he can he can get you a game. That's that's what the Sixers need. Yeah, well there's no Ola Depot hanging out at the back end of your bench on this team. <laughs> no, there certainly is not. He's a free there's agent. A firm too. On He's a free agent, yes, there is. Uh there I saw people on Twitter calling for corkmos That's how bad it was the other night. Yeah, things aren't good. Oladipo's a free agent though. Keep that. Just stick that in your back pocket. Um, And you wonder now what that does for Spolstra into the next series. Saying, "Man, I haven't played this guy at all. Look what he just did. How do I incorporate him into my rotation now?"
5: Yeah, it's it's a great problem to have, and you know Spolstra is going to figure it out. They're going to continue to go to him. I, I think you know if if the Sixers get eliminated at some point before the Eastern Conference Finals. Like Miami, Boston, that's going to be well, that would be an unbelievable. series. And this series. Miami,
1: uh, Boston, Milwaukee series now tonight Chicago plays uh, Milwaukee, but Milwaukee will end that tonight, and uh, that's going to be an epic series. I, I don't, I don't see anyone beating Boston.
5: They, they, they look head and shoulders about, uh, above everyone right now
1: in the East. Crazy how sure. that, uh, at Christmas time people were tweeting about Udoko needing to be fired. <laughs> yeah, and now he's he's boy genius. Crazy how that happens. All of a sudden, just like that, just like that. another Brett,
5: another guy off the Brett Brown coaching tree.
1: You know, it's funny you say that because you have Monty Williams, the coach of the year, Adoku, who now people think is this, you know, great. Um, I don't know what is that. What's yeah, the message? I, uh, What's the message? They look there? good, man. Right? What's the they message? Really they Adoku was on the Nets staff last yeah. year and a lot of people were saying like hey he was running circles around Steve Nash. Now, I think Nash is a coach that hurts his team because he doesn't do anything. He he he's a joke. I mean, he might as well put a uniform on. Right. He's just there so that they don't have anybody else to tell them what to do. Yeah, <laughs> they don't he, want any other it, voice. They, so he's just there to basically let the team run wild. He has no game plan. Nothing like you have to have some impact. Like I said, 80-20. You have to fulfill your 20%. You got to help me out 20%, dude. He's basically like Will Farrell from Semi-Pro. I mean, he might as well have a bear at halftime in a cage or something. Uh, the Memphis Minnesota game last night, if you didn't watch it, it was one of the games of the of the playoffs. I mean, the the atmosphere, I feel like when I watch some of these teams, like the the Memphis was just bonkers. Like, that felt like... It never feels like that at the Wells Fargo Center, I feel like. Well, no. I How awkward...
5: I was saying that watching Game 5. I'm like, dude, I can hear a pin drop right now. It was so quiet. Uh, and that's a little bit unlike Philly fans, but the game was just that bad. But I'm, I hear you. That felt like a game... That Memphis uh, game last night.
1: Yeah, it feels like... These little tiny places, they just have, like, these crowds that are just, like, on another level. I don't know if it's because their buildings are smaller, maybe, and it just seems more intimate. Like, the Sixers crowd, it does, like, I've been there when it's loud and crazy, but it never feels like that.
5: No. I mean, it it used to. Like, you know, the 0-1 run with, like, the, the rally rags. Like, it, that place was jumping. But it hasn't felt like that no. in a little you while. Also don't do, have agree the,
1: with that. You also don't have the back and forth shot makers, I feel like. You know what well, I mean? Well, we haven't had that. No. Dude, that was, like,
5: that was perfect. Like, entertainment-wise last night, it was just response after response after response. Morant is not human. He's not human.
1: No, and, and you know, to, but... Um, Morant, who is not a great three point shooter, so he's like a different. He's one of those guys that you're like, he does it in a variety of ways. He doesn't just shoot the three, but he hit one big three in that game, and the the three they had hit to tie the game. Jeez, I mean, what a spot! And then uh, Minnesota, yeah, at the end with three seconds, with left, three seconds, and then for Morant to get that shot off on the baseline, he's a small guy to get that up. You're just like, how do you do it, dude? He floats. Like, he literally flies in the air. That dunk was unbelievable. Who hit that three in the corner? Uh, for Minnesota? Yeah. I don't remember. You remember who yeah, hit me that? me either. It wasn't was that, Edwards. Who uh, hit the three in the corner to tie that game up? And I was like, you've got to be kidding me right now. Yeah, I
5: thought it was over. I thought it was over at that point. And then he sinks it. That, oh, yeah. that was unbelievable. But the tip-back rebound for Morant to sink the three before that, like that whole
1: sequence, it was just... Unbelievable drama. Yeah, that game was definitely – because, you know, and I was kind of surprised because they put that game on TNT last night over the Atlanta-Miami game. And I know the the game was 2-2 against a 3-1, but a lot of times they don't care about that as much as they do the markets and the stars.
5: Well, Morant now is – one of the biggest stars in, on planet Earth. Like, they're going to put him in front of, like, Jimmy Butler in the heat, which is
1: crazy. That's but... what I'm saying, though. I was a little, like, yeah, he's a big star, but it's still Memphis, small market.
5: Yeah, I know. He's just been such a great
1: story. Plus, Trey Young was in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, so he probably has a little bit more, you know, national appeal than, say, Morant does or certainly the Timberwolves. Do you think... uh do you think the Nuggets extend this series? Tonight? No. No, I don't. Okay. I think the Warriors win tonight. I think Minnesota, actually uh, Milwaukee wins tonight. I was surprised Phoenix won last night, especially at halftime. When that game went to half last night, you know, obviously Chris Paul looked gassed.
5: Yeah. Uh, he's, I mean, he's just the definition of an old geezer right
1: now. But he finished with what, like 22? He he did enough. No, no, but I'm saying he played really well in the first half, but... Pelicans were still in that game at halftime, and it was like, man, Paul is playing his heart out, and he looked like he had nothing left to give. Now, I thought Bridges was just unbelievable. You know, in that game, you're watching Bridges and Ingram, and you're thinking, what if? I mean, the dude was literally
5: wearing a 76ers hat. Like, come on, people. His his
1: mother interviewed my girlfriend for a job with the Sixers. I remember that. I remember that. Unbelievable! Unbelievable. All right. Uh, so, what happens tomorrow <sighs> night?
5: Uh, I think it, I think it's coming back to Philly. I think it's coming back to Philly. I well, think you it's won't be on Friday show.
1: You won't be on Friday show. So, it's coming back to Philly, and then
5: uh, listen. Before the series started, I said Sixers and
1: Seven. You did.
5: So I'm going to stick with it reluctantly.
1: Right. I had Sixers at six. I think that they will win tomorrow in Toronto. I hope you're right, man. Normally I am. My? Normally I am. Not all Dude, the time. The trend continues, but some of the time. <laughs> all, right. all right, man. <laughs> Listen to the Philadelphia City Cast wherever you get your podcast. Ryan is the host. Have a great Thanks trip. The... Later. All right, he'll be back on Monday. Maybe we'll see. He's traveling, and uh, we'll see if Monday we connect. If not, Sixers probably got eliminated, and everybody's hiding. Hey, football at fours on the other side. Vegas, baby! We're going to Vegas! Adam Kaplan live in Vegas with the latest on the Eagles and the draft. That's next. This is
0: The Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Adam Kaplan. I have
4: real
6: confidence that our football operations uh, can once again create a dominant football team.
0: Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four.
1: Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds. Birds podcasts which you can listen to wherever you get your podcast podcasts listen to the inside the birds uh, YouTube channel check that out for all the content getting you ready for the NFL draft Adam Kaplan is at the draft in Vegas baby we got plenty to dive into. As the Eagles are getting ready to pick, will, where will they pick? Will they make the pick at number 15? Some interesting stuff coming out today. Uh, apparently Jameson Williams, uh, was talked or asked about playing with Devontae Smith and, uh, he had some interesting things to say about pairing up. He said the Eagles want to draft him and pair him with Smith. So is that the target? We've heard his name a lot. Let's dive into what we know right now on the Sports Bass Live on 97.3 ESPN as Adam Kaplan from Inside the Birds. Podcast and InsideTheBirds.com joins me here on the Sports Bash. Welcome back, Adam.
7: Mike, good to be with you from Las Vegas. Yeah, I got here about an hour ago, and uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Um, it, it's going to be a very unpredictable draft because this is – and we'll get, we're definitely going to get into this because this is going to be a big issue for the draft. This is one of the weakest first rounds we've probably seen in two decades. It's just not a, It's not a great draft. It's deep. But they're just not a lot of high-end players, uh, which is kind of the word that I've gotten over the last week or so. Not as strong as I quite thought in the beginning. However, it's stronger for certain positions. And that's the way the league sees it.
1: All right. Well, uh, let's dive into some of the things that we're uh, hearing or you're hearing out there You know, in terms of first-round talent. We hear all the time how many guys – most teams have turned their boards yeah. in right now. they got to get ownership's approval and sign-offs on this. So how many teams – uh, how do teams see the first round? How many first round players are we looking at?
7: Yeah, so Mike, it's funny you say that about the ownership. Is, you know, they got to get ownership on board. This is Today is the day, usually, late afternoon, early evening, where the general manager uh, and the head coach meet with the owner and they tell them where they're going to go with their first round pick. They give them, they just give them, here, here are the guys we're looking at, where we pick, like the order of, uh, here, here's how our board stacks up, and here's the guy we really want. And that's that's really the way it goes uh, in terms of first-round grades, um, it depends who you speak with. When I spoke to someone a month ago who was a decision-maker, he said 12 to 15. In recent weeks, it's, uh, I would say, anywhere from 15 to 20. Um, so so I would say where the Eagles are picking with their first first-rounder, at 15, I think they're in good shape. It's it's at 18 where you start scratching your head a little bit. Um, because I thought Harry Rosen made a great point last week. You can't. Everybody looks at the same tape, right? The, the coaching tape is a coaching tape. Twenty, twenty-five years ago, there were legitimate sleepers who, if you've got great scouts, like they'll uncover, or they're, or they'll, they'll be so high on them, they get the GM on board, they get the head coach on board, where they want it being right. And it's just that, um, like, by the way, Brett Selick was a guy the Eagles were super high on many, many years ago. He didn't run well before the draft, but they struck. They stuck to the process and their tape. And they turned out to be right. So in this draft here in terms of i would say minimum of 15 legit first round grades but let me just explain that there's a difference between good very good and elite that there are not a lot of elite players in this draft there there are a lot of very good to good there are maybe 4 to 6 great players and only a couple elite players that's why this draft is not looked upon as being a great draft.
1: All right. Well, uh, you've talked about the amount of first-round guys. Who are these elite players? Who are guys to keep an eye on? Because I'm imagining, Adam, when we talk about elite players, they're the players that teams are going to have their eyes on, and if they start to fall, they're the trade-up type of guys. So these guys yeah. are pretty important. When you're sitting at 15 and one or two of them start to fall, who are these elite guys that teams in the 15, hmm. 16, 17 range might have their eyes on?
7: Well, there's zero chance you'll get Ahmad Garner uh, anywhere close to 15. We'll start oh, not, with him. He's the best player for the draft. P- right, not yeah. picking
1: at 15. I'm talking about yeah. Yeah. trading up to what, 6, 7, somewhere in that range.
7: Yeah, all right, we'll get to that. So that's a good way to set it up. So Ahmad Garner is the best player for this draft. I'm pretty pretty convinced. He's one of only few elite players. Aiden Hutchinson is... I think he's elite based on people I've spoken with. Some people think he's just very good. Uh, he very well could be the first player taken overall tomorrow. And the reason is very simple. He is like a mod gardener. If you go with the term cleanest prospects for the draft, no injury history, no off the field issues, production, talented, tapes very good. Uh, but the, he doesn't have the upside of maybe a mod gardener. Who, who I believe talking to, talk to people I trust is the best player for this draft. He's Jeff and I have been, talk, and I have been talking about him inside the birds uh, since uh, Thanksgiving, uh, and he's probably a better than I anticipated. It's just what happens is, Mike. I'm big on talking position coaches because they agree differently than scouts do. Scouts, you know, they know that the off the field medical. Um, they're a little bit harder on players than coaches are. Coaches, are they all be hard on them, but they look at it a little different than scouts do. So the position coaches I spoke with, they all agree, Ahmad Gardner is the, not only the best defensive back, safety, or corner, he's the best player for this draft. Uh, then Aiden H- H- Hutchinson, uh, by the way, his, his dad, uh, I think it was Greg Hutchinson, it's not Steve, the former guard there. His, his dad was also a defensive lineman. Both, by the way, wore number 97.
1: All right. Well, good uh, little tidbit there by you, uh, Adam Kaplan. Let's take a look at... Uh, so there's some of the elite players that we're looking at. And I, and I mentioned that because, you know, uh, it was casually brought up on the NFL Network yesterday. Hey, uh, the Eagles are one of the teams that uh, seems to be making the most calls to move up. And they might be looking at, okay, Von Thibodeau. You know, like, what if he falls? So if there's a guy... Gardner, Thibodeau, somebody, what's that number? Is it 6th, 7th, 8th? Like, where's that spot that you think, if there's a guy there, (laughs) that Roseman picks up the phone and makes that call?
7: Mike Hutchins, excuse me, Thibodeau could go anywhere from 2 to 10. It's, the issue with him is, and the reason why he's not the number one overall pick, barring a shock, is his tape shows some issues with stiffness, and, so, and some coaches I spoke with do not believe that could be coached. You're, you're either born with the ultimate flexibility or you're not. Yes, he's productive. Yes, he's athletic. Yes, you could stand him up. He could play with his hand down. Super smart guy. Competitive. High character guy. I, I don't buy this nonsense about him um, having off-the-field interest and in how serious he is about football. I don't buy it. I, I know he's a podcaster and a chess player. Who cares? Guys yeah. a really good football player. But the legitimate stuff from the tape is really true. Uh, it's you can't deny it. It's on tape and he, there's some stiffness, but he's going top 10. Um, now, if he does drop, see, see, I, I, I don't know how we what Jeff Mosher and I are going to drop our show tomorrow. We've got some thoughts on this, but in terms of trade, how far they trade up. I, I just don't know how far Thibodeau will drop. You know, Kyle Hamilton, here's another question. I don't buy the 40 times slip. The tape is the tape. The tape's really, really good. He's got versatility. He's got unique size 6'4", 220-plus for safety. Um you know the look the Eagles don't believe in drafting safeties early they just don't we know that we've been through this you know how many times of not doing it in the first round it's like for both for them um i they're not trading up for an offensive lineman I, I don't see anything like that uh there, there's the, the, the kind of guys they would trade up for to me would be high upside guys who t- who teams might probably think that maybe there's some questions about where Last year, the only question about Devonte Smith was his size at 170 pounds soaking wet. That was a problem for some teams. We didn't, we haven't really talked about it before, Mike. But um, the Eagles thought he was explosive. He played a great program, and he, he's an alpha dog. He's a he's a leader, so that worked out. So, so those are the kind of guys that were dropped. Guys who teams have some questions about. Some who might go from anywhere from eight to twelve, and then you know you're talking about moving up.
1: Yeah. And what do you like, you know, we're this late in the process. A lot of these guys are, you know, doing interviews. They're talking. They're, you know, saying some interesting, like the day before the draft, they're, they're finally saying some interesting things. But here's Jamison Williams saying the Eagles told him they would like to draft him and play him alongside Devonta Smith. Now, is that just what the team says? Hey, we want to or we would hmm. like to. Like, what are you, what are we supposed to make into something like that?
7: Nothing, absolutely nothing. Teams lie all the time. Okay. They they, they'll tell five players who want to draft you, the particularly a position coach. No, I'm not saying they didn't say it. Yeah, no, they no, they said it to him. That just, you know, it doesn't mean they're not gonna. It doesn't mean I go to draft him. It has nothing to do with it. Well, I don't know.
1: Right, I don't know if that's him. Them yeah. saying something to the kid, and then the kid saying something he's not really supposed to say.
7: Oh uh, well, well, believe me, I've been through this with with agents for years. They will swear to me the team said if he's if they're there, if your, their players there to draft them they they don't want up drafting them. So I'm, I'm I don't buy that stuff anymore. What I buy is where they have the player graded, and we've got some really interesting stuff on on uh, not only the Eagles with this player, but how coaches see him. And remember, he's uh, Williams is coming off a significant injury. Though I'm told it's it's there are questions about when he'll be ready. But it was an isolated ACL, and he'll be, he'll be okay. He'll be able to play this season. The question is when. Um, but he is unbelievably explosive, but it's it's such a shame that he tore his ACL.
1: Yeah, uh, a couple guys in this draft. Pickens, another one. Mechie's another one. Yep. Torn ACLs, couple of them in the draft. Keep an eye on that on draft night. All right, Adam Kaplan, Inside the Birds, Inside the uh in Vegas for the draft. Um, all right, quarterbacks, we heard it's a weak class. How does it all shake <laughs> out? Do we get a guy taking at number two? <clears throat> does that mean if a guy goes at two, another one goes at six? What happens with the quarterback class?
7: I'd be shocked if any quarterback went at two. Like, I, I felt since January, it's Kenny Pickett, Solomon at the Senior Bowl, did a good job in, in, in uh, wet weather. Um, I still think he'll be the first quarterback taken. I've got him slide to the Saints at 16. It doesn't mean that... Look, no one got it right last year with Trey Lance. No one knew that they were going to trade off like crazy. We, we, a lot of us thought Mac Jones because I know for a fact some people in the personnel department for the Niners preferred Mac Jones, but the head coach who has personnel control... Um, defied that, and he wanted uh, Trey Lance, who was clearly not ready last season. But I would say that with the quarterbacks, Mike, it's pick at first. There's some questions about Corral. I think Albert Breer wrote about it, and I have uh, similar information, which we're going to talk about tomorrow on Inside the Birds. Uh, Malik Willis is the wild card. He could go anywhere in the first round. I've got him slated to Detroit, not at two, but at 32. Uh, for Sports Grid, I did my uh, mock draft with them on the air with Scott Farella last couple of days. I know you met, you saw Scott some weeks ago. Um, I did, yes. But it's, yeah, Desmond Ritter, a top 40 pick. I don't know that he or Sam Howell go in the first round. I think both go in the second round.
1: Um, yes, I did meet Scott. Very interesting cat. Right? A lot of fun, by the way. He was uh, at the MAC Basketball Championship. Yeah, he's awesome. Championship. Yep. Yep. Um, all right, so Howie Roseman, the Eagles, what's their approach what do they need to accomplish in this draft? They have ten picks. They they restocked the coffers with draft picks. So, what are they looking to accomplish? How are they approaching a ten pick class?
7: That's a great question. And the way I would look at it is this: like, they need to come out with this draft with two guys who are going to play right away. W- what I mean, starters. Um, you know, at fifteen, they absolutely have to get a starter. I'm not. I know from my, I know from talking to a high ranking team source. They're fine picking a 15 or 18. They they have a general idea of, you know, they have a grouping of players who might be there, Um, but they need to come out with two starters here. Typically, general managers or personnel directors say, every draft we want two starters. It doesn't mean immediate, but you'd like to get two starters out of this draft, Um, whether they go for receiver, lineman, whatever it may be. Um, Now, if they go with Jordan Davis, he's not starting. This year, he's not. That would hasten... You know, obviously, with Fletcher Cox being on a one-year deal here, we know Cox would obviously not be back next year. If they, uh, and by the way, J- Javon Harger is on the front of his deal, although you can expect him to be back for long-term because they love him. But if they took Jordan Davis, he doesn't start Week One, but he would be eventual starter. That that would be obvious at 18. You know, if they took a corner, that guy could start Week One. The, the that the way they have to look at it is they must get to the starters, but don't read for it. It's okay if that guy doesn't start Week One or Week Five. Remember, the draft is about the future. It's not about this season. It, it's with an eye on this season, but it's a ninety-nine percent about the future, about what 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 your roster look like in the future, and you want to get starters. The way it was explained to me is, Mike, is you want to get guys in the first or second round as starters who you believe will be with your team for two contracts in at least six years. You want you want six years out of high high draft picks, um, and that's why, by the way, running backs don't go in the first round because of the injury rate.
1: Well, we know that. Uh... I, it's interesting too because you know you mentioned what they what they want to try to accomplish. Find two starters in this draft. They have ten yep. picks this year. I guess one question would be: Do you anticipate them making ten picks? Is that too many picks? Are they going to try to get rid of some of those picks? You know, it's funny, Mike. When we did our off
7: season team needs for the Eagles back in uh, March after free agency, right before free agency started. I would argue the needs are exactly the same. We've probably mentioned this 20 times on our shows since. since They haven't really changed. You know, if you look at it, the real the, the real needs, right? Wide receiver, they need two. By training camp, the one way or the other, they need two. For the future, they need two. Rager is not a part of the rotation right now. Uh, if he's with the team, we'll see if he can earn a, earn a spot. I mean, they're not going to cut him, but in terms of uh, a, a game-day roster, a, a game-day um, you know, role, Um, The only role that you know, the two roles that you know are Devontae Smith and Quest Watkins. Quest Watkins has never shown to be dependable. He definitely started to emerge last season. He's explosive, but is he a full-time starter. That remains to be seen. They need a D-end. They need a D-tackle. Now they need two corners who could play on the outside. Right now they have one guy. That's it. Uh, They need a safety. We all know that uh, uh, for the future. I'm, I'm probably the minority of this. I don't think they need a linebacker because they don't believe in develop. De, they don't really believe in putting put resources at linebacker, Mike. But as we go through this, I mean, that, that's about six or seven players right there. But to finish that off, your question: No, I don't believe they'll keep all ten uh-huh. um, because they're big. They're big on trading for the future, of packaging picks, and getting picked for next year.
1: So, in your mind, what's a good draft look like? Th- like overall, at the end of the day filling those needs right you mentioned safety mm-hmm. corner not linebacker but what is a good weekend for you one one key receiver
7: one definitely one big time receiver right one receiver i think we all all the people listening to on, on uh, 973 and, and and inside the birds know that that's a that's a stud receiver a defensive end who will t- eventually take over. Uh, for brandon graham you got to get that guy or you know josh what's a starter but who is or or who's going to take over for Derek barnett or push him and eventually be the guy got to get a start at, they need a big time corner on the outside who could start and then then uh probably a d tackle of of note I'll, i will tell you that really like marlon tui peloto who really didn't play last season due to a significant hamstring problem um but they need another. They need another D tackle. And if you look at it, those are the positions where they absolutely have to do it. Not only for this year, Mike. It's it's interesting. All the needs they have this year line up for future needs. It's it's not always like that, but for this year, it absolutely is for the future and for now.
1: Well, uh, obviously, uh, we'll see it all unfold Thursday night. Um, and obvi- you know, one last thing. We know Howie Roseman. Um, he likes to wheel and deal. He likes to do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, could they? Deal any players on the current roster away uh, during the draft this week? Do you see somebody, a current player, that is moved? Yeah, third day of the draft. Uh, I know
7: from talking to other teams, it's, fine, it's hard to believe, but these are impeccable sources. They continue to tell me that the Eagles don't want to move Dillard. Hmm. I mean, I don't understand that. I mean, what, what's the point? Fifth-year option coming up after the draft? Why? I mean, you're not going to pick it up. I mean, I know you could just let him play out this last year, but, and then let him get a compensatory pick. So it's, it's interesting. We'll, we'll have to see. I think, obviously, Rager and Diller are the two that keep an eye on on the third day, which is rounds, by the way, four through seven. Just, uh, you know, because we remember we used to have two days for the draft, and now we only have three. We have three. Mm. um, And they break it up here, and it's, uh, the weather's great, and I hope uh, everyone enjoys the draft. And make sure you you listen to tomorrow morning's show, which we drop at 6 a.m. Eastern on YouTube. And, We'll release our list of players. We've heard the Eagles are on, and there's always a, there's always one they sneak in. We we both missed on Derek Barnett in seventeen. We uh, Jeff and I did the the draft for local radio. Um, I had said they were going to go after McCaffrey, which turned out to be true. How get he got close enough, but he was no to your question earlier. Like Sauce Gardner, right? Sauce Gardner will never get close enough. I don't believe, and McCaffrey could not get them close enough to even think of trade now. So they went to Derek Barnett. It was a surprise. And when we were down there in Philly, Mike. That was not who they wanted. Remember who they wanted? The fans.
1: Uh, who
7: did the fans want that and they, year? And they were not happy.
1: No, I don't remember.
7: Reuben Foster. Oh, okay. Reuben Foster. The linebacker. He was crazy. Yep. Who was a complete bust for the Niners because of off-the-field issues. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, Adam Kaplan inside the bridge. He'll be back on Friday to recap round number one and preview round two, three, and, of course, the weekend, four, five, six, seven. So we'll get uh, some sort of reaction from Thursday's first round and then thoughts on what could happen. That's on Friday's edition of Football at Four with Adam Kaplan. Tomorrow, Andrew DiCieco will tell us how it will all happen right here on Football at Four. Adam, appreciate it, man. You got it. Thank you. That's Adam Kaplan, InsideTheBirds.com and the Inside the Birds podcast here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. We got headlines on the other side. Wait till you hear something I got. All right. I know Josh didn't pick this story out. I just know Josh's personality. He didn't pick it. I got this one. You're going to want to stick around for it. I don't know what he's got, but I know the story that I'm going to throw at him. You're going to be like, what? Wait, huh? Stick around for that next here on the Sports Bash. Now on 97.3
0: ESPN.
1: All right, Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. Let's see what's happening. Josh Henning is my producer. And uh, these are the stories that interest him. That doesn't mean they interest me. They interest him. I want to make that clear.
2: Well, you seem pretty demonstrative before the break about you having the story. which so you like to go nope, first? Nope.
1: I'm going to let you go first. I want to see if maybe you picked the one that I'm picking. Maybe you did. Maybe I'm it. wrong. Maybe you do pick the one that I'm thinking about.
2: Well, again, we're getting our stuff from different sources. So I'm I'm feeling pretty confident saying I don't have it. Because well, I mean, there's a lot of in. the same
1: stories on multiple platforms. It's not like I have an exclusive on one site that you don't know about. I'm just seeing if our... Interest are the same here.
2: It's also possible the story you're talking about I didn't see at all. So mm-hmm.
1: maybe you should do better research. Got all day for this segment. You know what time it's coming up? These stories should have been found at ten o'clock this morning. I found mine at ten o'clock this morning.
2: Well, no, I should not just find it at ten o'clock this morning. Because something happens in the last twenty minutes, and I'd be an idiot. As no, 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 now.
1: no, no. They evolve. You might you rank the way I do them is as I see them. I put them on a sheet, and then I rank them. And as one I like better happens, I move one down. Where I keep it, I have a little tree of ranking. That's cute. Sometimes I don't get to mine. That's how I plan out my whole show. Every segment I start at night. The night before, I start to put topics into my tree. And then as new topics arise, I find out which is the weakest, and I move it up and down the list. I have hours of the day that are higher rated than other hours. So in that rated higher rated hours, I put the stronger stories. In the weaker rated hours, I put the lesser stories.
2: What you're really trying to say is that I'm a lousy at my job and you're better at your job than me.
1: Not necessarily. I'm just (laughs) trying to give you a better way to prepare. You have all day to prepare. You know this segment is your segment. You own this segment.
2: I know I have all day to prepare. I'm just saying that there's plenty of times that we both see things the other person doesn't see. That's That's what
1: my point is here. So I'm saying you read yours to me because I want to see if you picked one that I...
2: Well, I have two NFL stories I want to get to for
1: sure. All right, let's hear. It. The one story you gave me the other day, I wish I had more time on.
2: Oh, about the kid with the over, uh, overtime elite. Yes. Send that to you.
1: Send I know. You can, uh, I wish I had more that. time on that segment.
2: Maybe we can get to it uh, later this week or next week. Yeah. <laughs> That's not going out of style, but this story may have some information to do with the NFL draft. So, for those who didn't know, the Jags have re signed their offensive tackle, Cam Robinson, to a three-year, 50 more, $54 million contract extension. Now, the importance of this, as The Athletic is pointing out, is that this makes it look like this is really going to come down the two players for them. Because
1: they're not taking an offensive lineman.
2: Well, that's the assumption. But Trent Baalke apparently really wants Travon Walker but the owner really wants Aiden Hutchinson. Mm-hmm. And it seems like them signing Robinson is a sign to people in the NFL that you can take the offensive lineman off of their radar. After Balky previously said over the weekend, they had about four or five guys they were looking at. Now it looks like it's starting to look like it might be two, Mike.
1: Well, the interesting thing will be who wins that, the GM or the owner.
2: Well we know how it works in Philadelphia, but we don't know how it works in Jacksonville.
1: <laughs> right. Well, Balky, <laughs> who I don't know how know how has a GM job to begin with. Um, we'll see. What side's Doug Peterson on? We've already had the love triangle of owner, GM, and coach in Philadelphia with sure. Doug Peterson, and that landed him Jalen Hurts.
2: Well, the interesting thing is is that, you know, is Doug Peterson going to have the type of say in Jacksonville that he had? Has been reported in Philadelphia. Remember, the Eagles coaching staff wanted Jalen Rager, but the Eagles scouts and front office guys wanted Justin Jefferson. They drafted Rager. Mm-hmm. You know, Sal Palantonio told you on the sports bash, as well as multiple other platforms, that Doug Peterson wanted Jalen Hurts, right? Well, does he have that scene kind of say in Jacksonville, or is he just going to kick back and be like, oh, well, you guys figure it
1: out. I don't know, but. It'll be look. The fact that we don't know who the number one pick is yet is makes this draft all that more intriguing.
2: I love it. It's so much juice. It's going to make two tomorrow night even more exciting than.
1: Yeah, they got to move the draft to a different day. I our baseball league always plays on Thursdays, <laughs> so I never can actually watch the draft like when I,
2: how I want to. Your your attention's completely divided yeah. up uh, The other NFL story I want to get to for sure was so. Yesterday, 49ers general manager John Lynch basically said, we don't want to trade Debo. Well, Debo Samuel on Twitter today said the following, quote, Too real to entertain half the stuff you all be saying, but it's too funny, though. Everybody want a voice to be heard about a situation they know nothing about. and just be saying whatever the next person say, dot, dot, dot. Have a blessed day. Yeah, I read this tweet. It seems like Debo is not going to play along with a lot of the speculation out there that's being put out there. Now, he hasn't denied some of the things that's being put out there, but he's not confirming any of it either.
1: Look, you never know who's saying what. That's the problem. You know, like, unless he's been so tight-lipped about it in his inner circle that he hasn't said a word, you don't know who's heard something. The barber... The waiter, the bartender, Mm -hmm. someone at a table behind you overhearing something. His
2: girlfriend telling her friend.
1: Never done Anything. I think Debo Samuel will probably get traded.
2: I think so, too. And I think that him being traded in the next couple of days probably feels the most likely scenario. Just because, you know, we had this conversation about other players in the past, haven't we, Mike, about the fact that you have these guys... Who teams want a first round pick for him?
1: Well, if they want two for him.
2: Wait, right. Well, if you don't get the picks this year, it's a lot harder to get the compensation you want. So the 49ers gotta make a decision. Do you take the best deal before the draft or during the draft on Thursday? Or do you let the offseason play out and cross your fingers?
1: It's 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 a weird situation and us because of this. Normally you don't hear a guy or a player of this magnitude announced this late in the game he wants to get traded. Normally, that's happened February. Right. So, puts him in a tough spot.
2: I want to hear what your story is, Mike, because my next story may not interest you as much, so I'll hand it off to you.
1: Well, I thought you would have brought the story in. That's why I gave you the chance to go first, but... We talked about HBO standing behind the depiction of Jerry West. Right, irrationally. Jerry West now has countered. I mean, this is like a WWE trilogy. There's the match, then they have a second match. Now to finish the fight, they got to do something at the pay-per-view. Right. Here comes the cage match. So Jerry West is now taking this to the Supreme Court. Now, when I saw this story today, I thought to myself, just getting the news out there that you think you've been depicted poorly, isn't that enough for you to say, like, I said my piece? Right. Now, they came out and put out this statement that says, you know, we have a long history of producing compelling content. Right. And based on extensive factual research and reliable sourcing, we stand behind our talented creators and cast who have brought a dramatization of this epic chapters. All right, so that's what they're saying. They're basically saying, "No, we we've heard that Jerry West is a jerk." Now West shows no signs of backing down here, and he says, "I'm going to take it to the highest court." Dude, Jerry West, let it go. Like I'm on your side here, man. I'm telling you, you've been depicted poorly in the series, but like to take it to the Supreme Court. Is this necessary? Yeah, but should he back
2: off, he, he feels like he's been wrong. You're
1: giving more attention to this show than it needs now. Now you're making people want to go watch to see what kind of jerk you look like.
2: Hey, maybe he's got a really good lawyer who's telling him, Hey, buddy, uh, you come should on. pursue this for all you got.
1: Do you think he can really win the case? Well... Who's to prove whether or not you were a jerk in 1982 or not?
2: Well, here's my working theory on this. My working theory is... HBO keeps saying this is based on facts. Yeah, but they're not research. beholden
1: to fact. This is so, a fictionalized series.
2: Well, then they shouldn't have came out with the claim that they made. HBO's claim was that they have substantiated some of the information for this show, right? What they should have come out and said well, is, what, what look, was this like is the- a dramatization. They should have stuck to the disclaimers at the beginning of the show. Mm -hmm. Instead, they came out with the statement that you mentioned that we read yesterday. So now Jerry West gets to pull a, you know, I was going to make a reference, but I realized that I can't make that reference for you. So I'll go somewhere (laughs) else. He's trying to basically say, all right, if you claim that I am this scummy person, I want it brought out in court. That you gotta produce this evidence.
1: Could, could, so my question is, could Jerry West be in on this? And that if the ratings go up for this, he gets some sort of cut because at this point, that's all he's doing is driving people to want to see what kind of complete bleep he looks like.
2: Well, I mean, he certainly could get a lot of money out of this if he wins the defamation case. Defamation cases in the United States have made I a lot of money. I don't think
1: he has. I use. think HBO has solid legal ground here. Like, it's easy for them to say, you know what, he's portrayed in a drama station. and that wasn't their statement. I understand that. My point is I'm making this. They had their out. They had their chance to say, hey, this was just a drama.
2: They had their out and they blew it. They so didn't blow it. No 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 no, 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 no. They go didn't. Go to the court and say, this is what HBO said.
1: They didn't blow it. They don't think they did anything wrong. You don't think HBO has been through this enough You don't think people have tried to do this to them before?
2: I think they slipped on a
1: banana here. I don't think so. I think Jerry West needs to back off and let it go.
2: I bet you Jerry's got a really good lawyer who found Ah, something.
1: You got a lawyer who's saying, I can get money out of Jerry West.
2: Well, that's what every lawyer says.
1: Exactly, but that's my point. You got Jerry West complaining that he's being portrayed poorly in this show. And they've got a lawyer saying, I can get money for you getting can't get any money for him. HBO's been through this before. HBO had its chance to walk it back, and they didn't. They said,
3: eh.
2: Jerry's going to find out who the person who said he was a scumbag is. That's do I think what he really wants. I think Jerry wants to find out who's bad-mouthing him so he can... Uh have a conversation with him. One me? guy, one guy that bad him to come up with that character? Well, listen, I read Jeff Perlman's book. The HBO claims that the show is based on I need on to the see book. that
1: claim. I haven't seen that claim.
2: It's another article.
1: Okay, I'm not it. saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying I haven't seen that they've said that it's based on something. They keep saying that it's a drama.
2: Yeah, but then they say it's based on true
1: events. I haven't seen that is what I'm saying. And everything I've read, I have not seen HBO say hey this was supposed to be based on this, this or this that is all they have that all that I have seen is that it's not a documentary and that that the events are fictionalized for part of dramatic purposes like every other movie that's out there. There's many movies that don't they, they, they draw the actual facts but then the events are changed. For dramatic purposes. That happens all the time. So that's why I think West is just, let it go, Jerry West. Come on, man. You're my boy, Blue. You're my boy. All right, when we come back, Paul Hudrick from Liberty Ballers is here. He'll join us to talk a little Sixers and Raptors. How does he see it happening Thursday night? By the way, if there is a game seven, it'll be at 7 or 8.30 on Saturday night. Saturday night. And you can hear that game right here on 97.3 ESPN. Tomorrow night's Game 6, 7 o'clock, is on our sister station, Rock 104.1. Rock 104.1 tomorrow night has Sixers at 7 o'clock. We'll have the draft at 7 right here on 97.3
0: ESPN. Now, back to Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's Sports Leader.
1: Who the Bell Tolls Thursday night, could it be the end of the Raptors or possibly the beginning of some very, what did Barkley say the other night? Some tight sphincters in Philadelphia. Who the Bell Tolls, Paul Hudrick, Liberty Ballers, Uh, it was 3-0, it's now 3-2, here we are. And uh, Doc Rivers today getting on the defensive when asked about the 3-1 series lead. Now, I'll ask you, does he have a point? He's he's in 3-1 series. He says, well, one of those series, I had the 8 seed. We were lucky to even be in that moment. You know, you see how hard it is to close a series out. I didn't have a team that could close out. Oh, by the way, the team that won the championship. The next year, I had a guy who was playing on one leg, and we weren't the home team. We weren't the favorites. The third one, yeah, I'll take blame. So what did you make of Doc's answer when asked
6: a little defensive today? So I'll preface it by saying in the situation the Sixers are in and that Doc Rivers finds himself in, there is no answer that would have satisfied anybody, right? (laughs) You're Um, right about that. If he had said... Something to the effect of, like, oh, yeah, like, I need to be better in these situations, yada, yada, yada. Then I'll be like, oh, man, look, Doc, he's he doesn't have confidence that his team could do it already. It's already in his head. If he deflects, then it's, all oh, well, look, he's deflecting. He's not owning up to this. And it's like there was no answer that Doc Rivers could have given that would have satisfied people. And I say that as someone who has criticized Doc Rivers and has no issue doing so um, at any point. But um, I, I do think it's just a product of losing. It, when you lose games – particularly the way they lost, especially game five at home with a chance to close them out, it, it opens yourself up to this. So I personally did not have a have an issue with Doc Rivers defending himself. Now, maybe you could argue, like, it's a little flimsy in some cases, but it is kind of fair in others, you know? I mean, it's the other thing is, too, like, if, if you coach long enough, which he has for a really long time and never taken any breaks – Stuff like that's bound to happen to you, right? I mean, you know, other than maybe Greg Popovich, who is maybe the greatest coach to ever coach, or like Red Auerbach. But other than that, um, if you coach long enough, these types of things are going to come up. And that's, again, I'm not completely defending Doc Rivers. I'm not saying he is resolved of any blame. And actually, Mike, I'll say that. Normally, he is not a guy who is very good at saying, this is my fault, I'm holding myself accountable. He actually did say that at the end, that he owned – the um the the bubble series that 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 the Clippers lost to the to the Nuggets so um that was even I thought a little bit more of uh how do I put it like he 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 kind of leveled off a little bit and didn't didn't quite sink dig his feet in as deep as he normally does
1: um all right well I I tend to agree with uh, you know to the most part I'm like look he lost three one he had the eight seed if you remember that team the next year they started one and ten and he got fired um. Uh, that wasn't a very good magic team. You could make the argument, hey, it was a good job to get him to 3 1. And as you see, it's hard to close the series out. He did not have the horses in that magic on that magic team to close out that series. So yeah, he blew a 3 1 lead. I kind of not surprised by it. The same with the second one. I mean, James Harden and that Rocket team were probably the better team that got down 3 1. And, you know, but it's part of the reason why I think people are fearful of what's happening here. And I guess the question I refer back to you is what role can Doc Rivers have in ending this series? Does he have a card that he can flip on the table and say, you went big on me last game, and that gave our guards some problems. Now this is what I'm going to do. What's that move that he
6: – that what role can he have in fixing this? I think he's got to do everything he did in games one and two because I feel like he got away from some of those things. Uh, you know, the the Maxie Harden uh, pick and roll, I, I, we really haven't seen a ton of that. I would like – to see a lot more of that, maybe in Game Six in Toronto, because it was something that the the Raptors really had had issues with, and I don't think the bigger lineup, if anything, that should make that action even better, because then they're going to have an even tougher time kind of closing out on Tyrese Maxi and finding him and, and and stopping his drive. So I would like to see more of that. I don't know if it's Joel Embiid's hand or or what it is there, but I would also like to see more Harden Embiid pick and rolls. Doc talked about the idea of you know after last game. We need to get James more comfortable in, in, in situations where he's going downhill. That, that seems to indicate, you know, the pick and roll of Joel B would be a pretty good opportunity to get him that. So um, I would like to see some more of that. Then also, <coughs> excuse me, the rotation. I thought you saw the first couple games. He, uh, you know, when Joel B wasn't in the game, he basically went Paul Reed and then the other four starters. That lineup did pretty well and it made a lot of sense. He's kind of gone away from that a little bit um the last couple games. And, and I don't know if that's, fear with Joel Embiid with that hand and, like, maybe he's trying to, like, not expose Joel as much to have, like, a bench-heavy lineup or... I don't know what it is, but it, I would go back to that. And to me, I think minutes-wise, you got to play it like like the starter's got to go really big minutes, Um and then you're only bringing three guys off the bench, George Niang, Shake Milton, and Paul Reed, and they're all playing a very small role. I think you have to almost... And I know some people are... I actually mentioned this on a podcast and got... Joked about it, but like you got to play it like a game seven. Maybe not traditionally, like Doc Rivers plays a game seven, but you got to play it like a game seven yeah. in the way you deploy your roster.
1: Yeah, minutes wise, you know, just hey. Going all out today. We got to finish this thing. Um, I didn't see Embiid talk after the game. I don't know. I don't know if the post game television didn't air his comments, but
6: he did eventually.
1: He yeah, did eventually. He came out right. very late. So it was very <laughs> late. So I'm seeing some of the stuff he said, you know, today as opposed to after the game. I stayed up and watched the whole press uh, post game stuff. Now I saw Harden on ESPN. I did not see him on NBC. So I must have missed Embiid, but. Um, Gina, who covers the Sixers for the Inquirer, tweeted out some things that I happened to catch today that Embiid basically did say that he's holding back. He he said, I am very, you know, cognizant. I'm I'm afraid almost. Like, I liken it to a football player or anybody, you, Paul, who pulls your hamstring when you're trying to – and then you don't want to run because you're afraid to let it loose because you don't want to feel that feeling again. And I feel like him saying that is pretty telling that this is bothering him. And he's now letting you know, like – I'm not playing freely cuz I'm thinking about this. Does that does that basically seep into your mind and the other player's mind that
6: we're not getting the full brigade here
1: and has that brought everybody crashing down.
6: Well first of all, if I put a hamstring right now, I would be out down for <laughs> for weeks now at this point in my uh this point in my life. But no, with Joel, I, I do think one, yes, I I think he was holding back a little bit in, in game 5. And I think it's certainly trickled down. And not even just, I I think mentally for sure. I think that, you know, it it takes a hit when your best player. The guy who's carried your team all year long is not feeling well and he's not playing up to what the standard he has set for himself. Of course, mentally that's going to have a trickle-down effect. And then on the court, it it clearly does as well because um, the opportunities aren't nearly as much for James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, you name it. Everybody that plays, the opportunities aren't as good um, because Joel is a little bit more passive and not aggressive. And I think I I I, I don't want to get this is just like just like a hunch I don't want to get too far into weeds with it but I do think there's a part of Joel who thought to himself like all right like my hands banged up let me try to rely on everybody else on this one and, and let me see if I can kind of you know what I mean defer and get everyone else involved and and maybe we can just close this out like that and then I can get some rest and then we can move on um, instead of just trying to just play through it and, and clearing that mental hurdle but now I think Mike. I expect to see him in game six come out um, on fire. Like I, I expect maybe, you know, the hand's going to hinder him. There's there's just no two ways about it. He's going to have a functionality and mobility issue with that hand, but I expect him to be significantly more aggressive in game six. I don't think he goes down like he did in game five as far as like, you know what I mean? I, I don't think he allows himself to be just, just let that injury take him out of his normal mindset. I think you're going to see a very fired up, um, very aggressive, and um, it's just very assertive Joel Embiid in Game 6. All
1: right, well, Saturday, 7 or
6: 8.30 for a Game 7. Do we get to Game 7 or is this thing done, baby? Well, maybe I should pick the Raptors because I keep picking the Sixers and they keep letting me down here. Um, and I did pick the Sixers in 7, so it would make me look really smart in hindsight. But, um, no, I, I have to pick the Sixers again because, I, like I already mentioned, I don't think Joel Embiid has another game like he did the other night. Uh, the, the thumb is an issue, and it's going to be an issue, but I, I don't think – I think he plays – much more aggressive. You saw what the defensive end and how mad at himself he was after the game. You saw some of those comments where he took responsibility for not being up to snuff on the defensive end. So I expect at the very minimum that he is going to be a monster, you know, protecting the paint, switching on the guards. Like I expect his defense at the very minimum, his defense is going to be ratcheted up a few notches and I expect him, maybe he'll struggle a little bit because the hand won't allow him to, but I, I imagine that he is going to be much more aggressive looking for his shot, forcing Toronto to double him more and double him more aggressively to get the other guys going to get the other guys open.
1: Uh, Paul Hedrick, Liberty Ballers, check out their coverage of game number six of the Sixers and the Raptors. Winner will play the Heat. That series will start Tuesday night. You can hear it right here on 97.3 ESPN. As for tomorrow's game six, it'll be on our sister station, Rock 104.1. Paul, thanks, bud. You got him, Mike. All right, when we come back, we'll get back into the NFL. Our old buddy, Johnny Mack, John McMullen, will join me to talk a little Eagles and football. What's he hearing
0: on the eve of the draft? Find out next. This is The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill.
1: Final hour of the show. Don't forget tomorrow, the
0: NFL Draft right here
1: on 97.3 ESPN. The Eagles with two picks, 15-18. Will they make them? Well, we're about to hash that out right now. Our old buddy John McMullen, birds 365 on the Jacob Media YouTube channel, set to join me to hash out all the scenarios, what he's hearing at the last moment. I know John does one and only mock draft. We'll see what he thinks, uh, is going to happen. Which names is he hearing to go to Philadelphia? What could Howie Roseman be doing? Let's bring in John McMullen here to the Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN. Welcome back, Johnny Mac. What's up, bud?
8: How are you, Mike? Good to be here.
1: I'm all good. I'm, uh, looking ready. I'm ready for this thing. I think they should move the draft up a week, maybe. It's too, it's too much time that you're just waiting for this thing and all the news. These teams have to know who they want by now, right?
8: Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, uh, we call it silly season around the NFL, and it really just, uh, I agree with you. It's too long. In a lot of ways, I've always advocated, do the draft before free agency. Uh, That would make sense to me. But it's about the calendar for the NFL, because, you know, one of the things, and you and I have talked about this a lot, that fuels the popularity of this league Is they're so good with the calendar there's no downtime there's really only the six weeks between mini camp and the eagles aren't going to have a mandatory mini camp but most teams and and training camp and you know you get the super bowl and then you're right into the senior bowl the combine the the free agency the draft they do They do a wonderful, wonderful job with the calendar. They sure
1: do. And uh, Thursday night, it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Let's take a look at some of the things that could uh, really deter this draft. Where's your thoughts on what happens with Debo Samuel? Is he an option? Does Howie get in on that call? Or is that not a, a business he wants to be in?
8: Well, Howie will tell you, uh, and he tells us all the time behind the scenes, he calls about everybody. So that's, you know, one of the things the Eagles do. It's just the way they do business. It's not necessarily that they're uh, extremely interested, very interested, but he likes to keep his eye on the market and what's going on around the league. So he wants to be up on certain things if he can take advantage of a certain situation. I get the feeling... And the Eagles are rarely caught off guard, but I think a lot of teams in this league were caught off guard by the wide receiver market, how exploded it exploded in the off season, Devontae Adams, contract, you know, Kansas city thought they were about to get an extension done with Tyreek Hill, And all of a sudden Devontae Adams gets that deal. And Tyreek's like, Whoa, 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 you know, let's revisit this. And, and, basically 48 hours later he's in Miami that's how quickly that happened so um I I don't foresee this team getting involved with Debo Samuel AJ Brown DK Metcalf receivers of that category not only because you have to give up the draft assets and it's going to cost a first round pick plus if you look at the multiple picks Miami gave up for Tyree Kill but then you have to work out the extension you're talking about 25 million a year I don't think the Eagles want to do that at the wide receiver position, so that's why it shifted to the now annual tradition. I expect them to take a wide receiver in the first round. If they don't, they're going to get a wide receiver by 51 in the second round. So, they're going to get a wide receiver high in this draft.
1: So uh, a trade for a wide receiver, do you think it's likely or like D.K. Metcalf? Would you be shocked if on Thursday night that was like his, you know, trump card here? He pulled out and say, ah, we've been quiet, but look, look what I ended up with. The guy, you know, we heard for years, Russell Wilson was the guy who got away. Well, we've heard about D.K. Metcalf and that whole blunder. It wasn't really Howie's fault. He was a medical red flag, but... Yeah. If we could figure out a way to get him back, I mean, he would be the most popular guy in the city. He
8: would. But same kind of deal. Remember, you not only have to give up the the first round pick and, and the other assets, but you gotta pay him twenty plus million on top of it. You gotta give him an extension. So no, they're not gonna go down that route. If okay, so they that, went down
1: that veteran, route, I I the veteran tree, you think is out.
8: Yeah, I, I do at that level at that level so at the dk Metcalf, aj brown debo samuel level um they're not going to pay a wide receiver 20 plus million dollars now if there's somebody else a middling receiver they were in on calvin ridley we all know before what happened you know they're willing to pay they were in on Christian Kirk, but you know when he got nineteen million a year, they said Godspeed. They were in on Alan Robinson, who you know decided he wanted to play for the Super Bowl champions, which is understandable. And they were in on Robert Woods as well, who wanted to play in Nashville. Um, but those are all, you know, expensive. But it, it doesn't it doesn't pop the eyes out of your head like. Debo's going to, DK's going to, AJ's going to. All those guys are going to get twenty million plus per year.
1: All right. Uh John McMullen, you, you did mention so you do you're in the camp of fifteen, eighteen. One of those two is a wide receiver.
8: Yeah, and I, I think a lot depends on if the Eagles can get up. I, I I think when you talk about a trade up, there's been a lot of talk about going way up to, to six or seven. Um, um, I don't think they do something like that. So for people thinking they're going to go up and go get an Ahmed Gardner or a Derek Stingley Jr. or a Kayvon don't think if Thibodeau. think one of
1: those guys start to fl- – like, all right, if Thibodeau or Sauce Gardner or one of the guys that they really value, where's the threshold of if they're at this number, now we're willing to move up?
8: I would say 9 or 10, somewhere somewhere in that range. Um, you know, I, I have them potentially going up to 13. Houston has shown an indication they would like to trade out from 13. Um, I think the Eagles would have to go ahead of Baltimore to get Jordan Davis, and that's a player they, they love. Um, and I think if they can go up two spots – That's not going to cost you that much. That'll probably cost you that 101st pick at the end of the third round. Um, And even that's a little expensive if you look at the trade chart. But I think they'd be willing to do that to get a player they covet uh, like Jordan Davis. And I know Jonathan Gannon, I've talked with him about this. You know, one of the things he was missing last year was that true zero or one technique defensive tackle And that created all kinds of problems because Javon Hargrave doesn't do that well. Fletcher doesn't want to do it, to be honest. Uh, Milton Williams is too small to do it. They want that B to be a light presence in the middle that can open up things and and put the other guys in their more natural spots. And it's a domino effect because it also works with the edge rushers. And then you don't have to worry about the safeties coming down and run fits and things like that. So, I, I think Jordan Davis is a perfect fit for the Eagles, and they love the player. So it's a perfect fit from, from both sides. But they'll probably have to go up a little bit to get him. I don't think he's going to fall to 15.
1: Uh, John McMullen, Birds 365 is uh, 8 to 10 a.m. on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. You can check that out Monday through Friday. Um All right, there's so much involved here because linebacker. uh, Do they still need a linebacker? Do they need to put first-round capital in linebacker now? Do they feel comfortable with Kaiser White and uh, T.J. Edwards? Do they not look at linebacker as a problem anymore? Um, I I think they're somewhat comfortable.
8: Um, They're not going to take a linebacker in the first round. So Jerry Robinson can rest easy, uh, 1979. Um, You know, and that Kaiser White... Not a lot, you know, one year deal, but compared to what they've done in previous years, you know, you know, the laundry list, Mike, the Paul Worlows of the world, the Corey Nelsons, the, the LJ Forts. They gave him a little bit more money than they typically give that linebacker. And by the way, I think TJ Edwards is the most underrated player on this team. I, I don't think people realize how well he played last year after he was inserted into the lineup. I think pro football focus graded him out as the 10th best linebacker in football. I mean, he was good. Um, Now, can he continue to play at that level? I don't know. He's an undrafted kid, so everyone holds that against him. But sometimes they hit, man. I got to cover John Randall early in my career when the draft was 12 rounds, and he wasn't drafted in 12 rounds. And people kept saying he's undersized, he's undrafted, bang, he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, 15 years, you know, later. So just because you're undrafted, it doesn't mean you can't turn into a good player. I think the Eagles think they found a good player in TJ Edwards. They got an improvement in Kaiser White. I, I think they think they're better at linebacker than they have been in the past four or five seasons.
1: Um, What do you make of, you said wide receiver, uh, this, uh, well, Jamison Williams is the guy. Is that, hey, it's the final week. Talk or do you think that's the guy at wide receiver? If they if no wide receivers were off the board and they wanted one at fifteen, is Jamison Williams? He said it himself. Oh, they want to play me next to Devonta Smith. He said that today. Is he their top receiver on their draft board?
8: Yeah, I think he is, and I think he's most people's top receiver on on, on the draft board, even with the ACL, because you know people know where he is in his rehab and. It's not sort of what it once was when it comes to uh, the medical advancements and the rehab advancements. So I don't think they're concerned too much about the injury. do have to wait a little bit, but the Eagles themselves have, have called this a building year. So I don't think they're worried about getting him on the field for week one. Um, and long term, I think he he's by far the best option. Um, I don't think he's going to be there, though. at at 15
1: um would they trade up to get him
8: he's one in that category i think there's a couple guys jordan i mentioned uh jameson uh thibodeau um maybe stingley maybe gardner would be the the group that they would potentially move up um but i am not sure They would want to move up for a wide receiver at this stage. I think they'd they'd rather wait and and see how the board falls. Now, the problem is, if you look around the league, Atlanta, I have no idea why, but the buzz out of there is they're going to take a receiver. Um, They don't have a quarterback, a vehicle to get them the football consistently, but they really want a receiver. Um, And they're really high on Drake, London, Washington again kind of surprises me they want a receiver and they're high on on Chris Olave even more so than Garrett Wilson um i think i think olave is who the eagles you know kind of look at he would be number 2 uh but you know i i think the way it might fall i think it's possible if the eagles want to go the Stan pat route and don't want to trade up I think Garrett Wilson might fall to them. I, I because London, I think London's going to go before him. I think
1: Williams is going to go, and I think Alave is going to go before Garrett Wilson. Hmm. Uh, they, what about Burks on their board? Not uh, not a fan.
8: Um, I, I would not go that direction. I you know, part of it is Jalen Rager. It's not fair to trail uh, trail on Burks, but. This team has shown no evidence that they could take advantage of what I call a manufactured touch player, Uh, a guy you need to sort of get involved with your game planning, whether it's, you know, jet sweeps, think Debo Samuel, bubble screens, whatever. Um, They haven't been good with that type of player. Maybe it's just that Jalen, you know, can't play. And maybe it's not the coaching staff's fault, but. I would say for this particular team at this particular time, I would rather have the wide receiver who can just get open on his own, just can run the route tree, um, and you don't have to worry about specifically game planning because that's more difficult. If you have to worry about getting guys releases off the line, you have to worry about getting them involved. You know, if you can just run the route tree like Marvin Harrison, you're going to get open. Mm-hmm. And you saw it last year with Devontae Smith, pretty much the finished product. You can get open. You don't have to worry about it. Uh, I think the Eagles would like another receiver like that. And that, to me, the top two would be Jamison Williams and, and Chris Alave.
1: Um Rager, obviously, if they got a call, would they they'd be willing to move him, it sounds like?
8: Yeah. Uh, um, it, it, you know, this league is interesting. They should be able to get something at some point for Jalen Rager. Um, somebody will look back to the draft and say, well, we thought the kid was explosive and when we were doing our due diligence for the draft, and, and they'll offer something. But right now the Eagles are holding out for... You know, a ridiculous um, second. Some people say second round pick, third round pick. They're not getting that. They're not getting that. Yeah. They're lucky to get a conditional sixth. And ultimately, they have to make the decision. What What is pretty clear is if you've listened to Nick Sirianni and, and Howie Roseman in the offseason, when they talk about the wide receiver position, they don't even talk about Jalen anymore. So the organization has kind of moved on in their mind. Now it's just a matter of, do they want to admit the mistake and turn the page and get what you can get and just move on?
1: Um, Dillard's a name that always comes up in terms of, well, he doesn't play, uh, so why not try to move him? But are they interested in using him in a deal?
8: Yeah, I I think with Andre, they would need a pretty good deal. They would need... uh, they would need a third-round pick And, or and, and because I
1: mean, you look at that, you look at him, you know, I, I don't have a problem. With, if he started at left tackle for Philly or anybody else, he, he's a solid player. But the problem is he only plays left tackle.
8: Well, it is as a backup. It's not as a starter. Right. So there, there are a lot of bad tackles in this league. He, He's a starting-level NFL left tackle. And the Eagles know that. Uh, now, he can't start here because the Eagles have Jordan Mailata. So right. He's not valuable as a backup, but they realize he's valuable to the rest of the league. And, you know, a little bit of a under I, I wouldn't say a worry, but you know, put a little check mark next to it. You know, Lane's thirty two. He he's had reconstructive ankle surgery. Um, we know his issues off the field last year. Um and, and Jordan can play right tackle. So, you know, when you start talking about uh, depth and the Eagles have been through this on the offensive line, Jordan, my versatility, helps the Eagles keep Andre Dillard because they know if if he's got to go in and play for Lane, they just, they did what they did last year. They flipped Jordan to right tackle and Andre plays left tackle and that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. That's still pretty good. Yeah. So I think they see value and Andre Dillard, and they're going to want something significant. They would trade him, but they're going to want something fairly significant.
1: Yeah, and then Herbig, I guess, he just signed the tender the other day, which mean, he had to sign that for them to trade him, so I guess if they got calls, he would be another candidate, maybe?
8: Um, Well, you know, he's a good backup. He can play all three interior positions. It kind of depends on, on the draft. I, I I know the Eagles are high on, on the center from Nebraska, Cam Juergens, uh, he might be a potential second-round pick because they're starting to think about life after Jason Kelsey. Um, if he lasts to the third round, that'd be even better for them, but I don't think he will. Um, if they get somebody like that, uh, yeah, then I could see them moving uh, Nate Herbig. And, again, he's he's going to have some value because he started and, and played at a pretty high level, and this is an offensive line deficient league. Philadelphia fans are, are 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 spoiled when it comes to the offensive line because they don't realize how many bad offensive
1: lines there are in this league. Um, this is a unique draft in my mind, John. See what you think. Is that we don't know who the number one pick is going to be? I mean, normally yeah. by now it's pretty settled, <laughs> which means we don't know. Uh, like the top five seems to be so um, out of out of whack right now, and then you have so many teams. I think eight with multiple first-round picks, and that means eight teams don't have a first-round pick. So I guess it opens up a propensity for a lot of action tomorrow uh, Tomorrow night.
8: Yeah, I mean, it starts with Jacksonville, and it's going to be interesting because that's such a bad organization, and and it has been for a long time. Uh, and, and Godspeed, good luck to Doug Peterson down there. You, we know enough, I've known Doug for a long enough time to realize if this is his decision— He's going to take one of the left tackles, uh, Evan Neal or Iki Iquanu. Uh And it seems like Trent they Fauci signed wants. Their
1: tackle today.
8: Yeah. But, you know, Cam Robinson can play right tackle, so they can just move him over to the right tackle. Um, and he's not a great left tackle. He's above average. Uh, but think about... You know, who who is the centerpiece of that organization? It's Trevor Lawrence. You do everything you can to protect Trevor Lawrence and get him on the right page. That's just what Doug believes. Yeah. I mean, and he's right. i trade out of that
1: pick if I'm them.
8: Well, they'd love to. Yeah. But nobody wants to come up to number one because it's no one of those years there's no quarterbacks and there's really no need to. Um, so it comes down, they almost have to stay at home and they are. And they're probably going to take Trevon Walker because uh, that's who Trent Balky wants and he's in charge and he gets the pick. But it'll be interesting because if, you know, Doug has some goodwill as the rookie head coach, as the adult in the room, so to speak, trying to clean up that mess, they should give him the player he wants. It'll be interesting, you know, the director strategy of that organization uh is tony khan he'll be in Philadelphia tonight at the leah core center he's more concerned about his wrestling company than 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 his nfl team who's making the pick cm punk uh maybe you should call up uh your buddy phil brooks and and see who they're going to pick because i don't know who they're going to pick but i know doug has his druthers he's picking an offensive tackle um and they're probably going to go with trayvon walker
1: all right um Let's see, 15-18 or something else. I'm not asking you who, just is it gonna, are they going to stick 15-18 or do you think something else happens?
8: Uh, I think they, they, they do everything possible to get Jordan Davis. So I think it's going to be very much like last year uh, with Devontae Smith, a targeted trade-up a, a, a few spots. It might be 13. That's most logical to Houston and try to get him. If they can't, you does know, that, you need hold
1: to. On. Does that indicate, because you talk, you said that you talked to John Gannon and that they need this defensive, does that indicate that he has a very strong voice? Because, you know, there's a good chance he might not be here next year. Uh, well, he has a strong voice. It's not like he can pick
8: the players. But if you go to last year when they picked... Uh, Milt Williams, and, and there was that little kerbuffle between Howie Roseman and, and, and Tom Donahoe. Um, that was about a McNeil. They They knew they needed a nose tackle at the time. Um, and, and it's ironic because Jonathan Gannon was very excited about Milt Williams either way. But overall, the Eagles know they need a talent infusion on the defensive side of the football. Um and and I do think that Jordan Davis is the type of player who's going to fit any scheme. So if you're going to lose Jonathan Gannon next year, it's not like he's only a fit for Jonathan Gannon. Okay, I mean yeah, this no. guy is, yeah, this guy's a a, a unicorn as they say. Well, I'm
1: just saying, you know, does John Gannon say this is the perfect guy for what I need for my defense, as opposed to Nick Sirianni saying, hey. Jameson Williams will do wonders for this offense.
8: Well, it you know, it would be interesting. I, I don't think both are gonna be there. Uh so you gotta make a decision. Um I do think the Eagles came into this process knowing they had to they had to reload the defense, so to speak. And and they've always believed on building up front on both sides of the ball. We know that. Fletcher Cox is now, you know. Uh, on, on the wrong side of 30. He's now, they, they've redone his deal. They took the medicine there. He's now in the Jason Kelsey category, basically year by year. People forget Javon Hargrave is going to be a free agent after this season. Um, and they need more talent. They need an edge rusher, too. They know they need to repopulate that defensive line. Howie knows that Jonathan Gannon or not. And they've gone wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, and they're probably going to go wide receiver again, whether they get Davis or not, Um, at least, as I said, by 51. So it's not like they're going to ignore that position. And they put so many assets in that position. You know, if it comes down to it, how he might say, hey, start developing these guys.
1: All right. John McMullen, him and Jody McDonald, uh, 8 to 10 a.m. Birds 365. That's on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. Uh, they'll be pontificating one more day on what might happen. And then on Friday, we'll know what happened. And, of course, uh, Johnny Mac here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon, pal. All right. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate right. Johnny it. Johnny Mac here on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 seven three. ESPN good conversation. John and I could talk football for just keep. Going. We can just keep throwing stuff back and forth. But uh, when we come back, Tim Legler is here. What does Legs think about the series? What's this level of confidence. Find out next. Sports Bash.
0: Now, back to Morse on 973 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 531. The level of concern.
1: So far, we have like 8.5, 10. Most listeners are in that 8.5 to 10 range. Where should they be? Tim Legler, ESPN, set to join us. As, uh, Legs, you know this uh, fan base well. They're in a panic out there. Do they have every right to be in a panic? Or come on, man, they got two more games to go here. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. Um, I understand the panic. Obviously, I've
9: lived there a long time. And I know the feeling. But here's the thing I will say. Here's the thing I will say. Why? Uh, they're a little bit justified in this case, even though they're up three two. Mike, I'm going to ask you: Did you hear one one thing that came out of the post game pressers of any of the key people in this series for the Sixers that gave you hope? That was the most dejected sounding group of people. They they seemed almost resigned to the fact that this is slipping through their fingers. Yeah, teams teams that teams that portray confidence. To their fan base in that situation, don't sound like that. They sound like this, man. Listen, I can't explain it. We were terrible tonight. We we just we didn't get it done. I'm I'm pissed off. And guess what? You're gonna see a lot better performance out of us next uh, when we go up to Toronto. I promise you that. You don't guarantee a win or anything, but you you the the words coming out of their mouths and the way they were slumped over and how soft spoken they were it, it it that bothered me probably as much as anything other than how atrocious the Sixers' uh, rotations were on defense.
1: Um, how much of that, in your mind, Tim, is the fact that when that thumb injury was announced, that they the realization hit, we're not good enough. We we're, 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 we can't make a run without him being the man. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, I think that
9: obviously it was a joke because you're saying, all right, we're riding this guy. You know, especially as, as inconsistent as Harden's been and, and the way he's playing coming in. Nobody had great faith that he was just going to dial it up. And his playoff history is not great in pressure situations. So nobody was that confident in that. I mean, they feel good about Maxie. And Tobias is, you know, they're like, okay, he'll, he'll be solid. He'll do what he does. So it's really Embiid. We're going to ride Embiid. And he's been a complete difference maker uh, this year and, and separated himself from the league and being such a unique force, a combination of power and finesse. Like Nobody else has one of those. We have one in Philly. So when that came out, you're like, oh, man, okay, he's going to be diminished. How bad is it going to be? Uh, and I was worried because I know I played with a ligament tear in my hand, my opposite hand, my left hand. And and the problem is he just gets hit all the time. And so even though, like, okay, yeah, catching it, yeah, it hurts a little bit. Handle the ball for him, shooting it, it's going to hurt a little bit. What really bothers you is all the traffic and gets whacked and raked and hit. And it just throbs. And it gets to the point where now it is affecting your ability to finish shots. And so I was worried about it. It's definitely a factor. But listen, even with Embiid limited, you've got James Harden on your team. You've got Tyrese Maxey on your team. They don't have Fred VanVleet. You've got to win that game. It's that simple. You've got to win that game. And I think the fact that they didn't, knowing that it might get worse each night, the rest of this series for Embiid. I think that's why they sounded the way that they did. I actually think, Mike, they've got a better chance of winning game six than game seven. And I mean, that. Oh,
1: I-, I was just going to bring up to you, you, almost game six, you can't have the same feeling that you had losing game seven last year. You're right back to square one. You almost, if you get it back to game seven, the pressure of... Being the first team to ever lose a, a 3-0 lead, Doc Rivers, his history losing Game Seven on your own floor last year. How much of that seeps in if you don't win on Thursday night? If you lose Thursday
9: and you come back home, it, it, it's going to be the ghosts of the Hawks past. You're going to see you're going to see Hawks like standing all over. They're going to be Hawks flying above <laughs> their cars driving into the arena because you're going to be taken right back to where you were last year. Um, against that team, losing three games at home in that series, including a in Game 7. And, and and just listen, you know, one thing I'll say about the Philadelphia fan base, and I say it all the time, like it's, it's such a different market. It's unlike anything that James Harden's ever experienced. You know, his... He, if he thinks he got scrutiny in Houston and Brooklyn, wait till you see what's in store for you if you do not play well in a Game 7 in Philly and they lose this first-round series to Toronto. Um, so... Even though I say that, it sounds like you're being critical, but I'm really not being critical. I'm just describing it accurately the way that it is in that market, and particularly as it relates to the basketball team. You know, it's different with the Eagles. And the reason it's different with the Eagles is that the crowd's removed more from the fields. Like, it's just different. The players do not have that sort of proximity to the crowd. And so the pressure of a, on a basketball team in that situation at home when they've had a lot of failures, to me, exponentially more impactful if things go start to go south and the crowd turns a little bit. I think it's way more impactful in a basketball game than any other sport, team sport. And that's why that's hanging over their head. If they get to a game seven and they get off to a slow start and James Harden turns down two or three opportunities early to be aggressive, that thing's going to... It's, good. it's going to be literally a
1: death march to the final buzzer. <laughs> Tim Legler, ESPN. Um, so you mentioned Van Vliet didn't play. That almost played into Toronto's hands. They go bigger. All right. So that's a problem. Does Doc Rivers have an adjustment to make? These series are all adjustments. They do this. You do this. Now, Toronto was playing shorthanded for the first couple games, so they've added pieces. Well, now you've seen what they look like with this bigger lineup. Does Doc have an adjustment or is he going to have to just have and count on Embiid to be better? You know, it's be- well
9: B-, and B obviously has to dominate, but you know, you're talking about they're they're putting lineups on the floor. Their biggest guy is Siakam. He weighs hundred and forty two pounds, soaking wet. You got you got guys like Scotty Barnes and Princess Sachua uh Precious Achua that are out there that are, are switching onto him and guarding him. No, if this is a bead, because there's one thing that bothered me the other night. It wasn't just the hand. And I think pressure does this. I'm to explain this to people because they talk, but they use the word flat to describe them. They were not flat, they were being affected by pressure. It affects you um, in, physiologically. And I thought, I saw that in a bead. I haven't seen him look tired all year. he, he That's why I was praising him all year because I, he he had such a transformation in his stamina. His ability to play strong for 48 minutes, play power basketball, go into the paint late, not drift out to the three-point line that he did in the past. He was a different player. He was relentless this year. The other night, he looked exactly like he's looked the last two, three years in the postseason. Tired, grabbing his shorts at the foul line when someone's shooting at five minutes into the game. And you know what's caused by? Pressure. Rest. It makes you breathe differently. So he didn't want to be the same guy the other night that he's been, regardless of the hand. But obviously, yeah, he needs to win those matchups. You be guarded by guys six, seven, six, eight. You got to go down there and punish them. And if you don't, because they throw all these bodies at you, well, then look—if they're gonna miss a bunch of wide open threes, you can't win. So if they're gonna—if they're going to if you're gonna dominate. Throw bodies at them, Go ahead. Now you got to knock down three point shots. It's very simple when it gets to that. Now, look—a look, couple other things. James Harden has got to obviously be significantly better. Hit that first shot there night, everybody had a sense of relief. Oh, thank God, James Harden's here tonight. No, that was the last you really saw of him pretty much the entire game. Uh, He's got to be aggressive early. He's got to get into a rhythm. He's got to get people relaxed in that crowd to make them understand. He gets to game seven, I'm here. I'm here tonight. Don't worry about me. And so that's important. And then the final component, Mike, even if the beat is limited, he's not dominant, uh, James Harden is – Just okay. They have got, they were so bad defensively on their rotations off the
1: dribble. It was embarrassing. Well, let me ask you something. Um, A lot of that, and, and maybe you saw it, they went right after Embiid. I mean, how many times – and I think it beats afraid to use that hand on defense, and they know it, and they're going – seven straight possessions. They had dunk, layup, 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 free throw. How many times is the game plan? hey, let's go right at number 21, it's so, almost as if the Sixers didn't know what to do when they went right after him.
9: Yeah, I mean, and some of those were switches. He's jumping. He has He's guarding Siakam 30, you know, 30 feet out, and he's out too far. I, saw, I had several examples of it yesterday I was looking at tape. He, he, you know, he's guarding Siakam that's the biggest guy on the court. Or maybe there was a switch. He's started on somebody else, Birch, or somebody he ends up on Siakam. Why are you guarding him at twenty-seven feet? There's no reason for that. Back up. He, yeah, he can make a three, but a three over you with your hand extended is a tough shot. If you're if you're back at twenty-one feet, you can still contest it. He's extended too far. Now he's beat off the dribble, so your shot blocker's taken out of the play because he's out on the perimeter. And who's who's left to rotate? Four guards: Tobias Harris, your biggest guy. There's no help on the rotation when he was getting beat up the dribble. Now there's other situations where they were coming at him and he was the rim protector. He, he, for some reason, he's been so good at being decisive this year on at attacking or laying back. He was in no man's land half a dozen times the other night. Yep. He was doing neither. He was not affecting the ball handler by stepping up and he was not taking away the lob by being back far enough. He was just caught in a weird place, flat footed, and they were either, they were either shooting in front of him or they were, or they were lobbing it behind him because he was in this weird place, eight, 10 feet out. Uh, And now look, some of that was not his fault. Some of it was guys were getting blown by on the perimeter and he had to do something to try to help. And now now he was caught where guys were slipping behind him and getting baskets when he had already overextended himself. That's not his fault. In fact, I did one yesterday, and I, and I did a touchscreen on this mic. It was pretty funny because there was a nine-point game. They were coming up the floor six, seven minutes to go. They've cut it to nine. And as uh, Scotty Barge is dribbling above the, the floor, the crowd starts to stand up, right? They sense the moment. And you can see it gradually. The whole lower bowl is up. Right about the point, Scotty Barnes gets to half court. And you know what happened? James Harden, inexplicably, is trying to fool someone into thinking he's going to pressure the ball. He's 40 feet from the basket. He's one of the worst in the league at keeping the ball in front of him. Scotty Barnes blows right past him, goes straight down the lane. Joel Embiid steps up. They throw a lob to Thaddeus Young for a dunk. The people that stood up, they stood up for four and a half seconds. They sat right back down again. (laughs) Uh, You talk about sucking the air out of the building, and it's like... Go look, look at Boston. Go look at Milwaukee. Go look at um, Dallas right now, the way that they're playing defense. Miami. You just don't see those teams give up something easy when they need a stop. They make, you might make a shot. You're not going to get some dribble, line, straight drive, five seconds into the shot clock for a lob dunk. Yep. It was a joke. I mean, and that's, to me, you talk about how they're going to win if it for beats limited. That's how. You go to the film and you tighten that stuff up and say, this is ridiculous. This is like, a, it's a training camp drill, getting ready for the next game. It's shell defense. Help, recover, rotate, close out, hand up, box out. It's literally that fundamental, and they did none of that
1: stuff the other night. Uh, last one for Tim Legler. We appreciate it as always, Tim. Doc Rivers today, defensive. He was questioned about 3-1. I mean, he's got more than anybody. Uh, he says, well, no context. Eight, first time, you know, I have Orlando. We're the eight seed. We shouldn't even have been 3-1. That should be good coaching job. Not I blew a 3-1 lead. Then he talked about Chris Paul being hurt one leg. Uh, they weren't the home team there. Had no court. He said, I'll take the blame for the bubble, but we're in the bubble. Anything could happen in the bubble. So, <laughs> <laughs> my goodness, man. <laughs> How much of a role does Doc have in this uh, whole situation? Enormous role. Enormous.
9: And I, it, I know he, that's who Doc is, right? He deflects. He deflects and he gets defensive. And he, earlier this year, he said, I've earned it. Basically saying, I won a championship in 20, 2008, so I've earned the right to never be questioned again. Basically what he was saying to the reporter that day. Yep. That's, that's what Doc's doing right now. He's defensive. He's, his hair's up on his neck because he's insecure, because he sees what's going on and what could potentially happen. This is a disaster if this happens. And then maybe this year, if that happens, they'll blame it on a beat thumb or something else. And so there's fractions of Simmons. Who knows what he'll use. But the bottom line is, I think right now, they those players are not looking into the eyes of someone that is providing them assurance that he knows what to do. And I think that is why you hear them talk the way they did after the game the other night. It's it's not self-assurance. It's not like you're supposed to look into the eyes of your coach in any situation and feel like, hey, they just went on a 6 run as a timeout. When I'm walking over to the bench, I'm going to get some good answers here in the next two and a half minutes to figure out what's going on, and we're going to be able to adjust it. And I just don't sense right now that anybody feels that. So he, he's got a lot of responsibility in that. You've got to make instill confidence in your team that you and your staff are going to help them get through this. Not like, I I don't know what's going on, I don't know what to tell you. Be better. It's like, that's not enough. So, he bears an enormous responsibility coming into the playoffs. I've been saying it repeatedly, and Bede has had failed moments in the playoffs. Harden's had several. Doc's had several. you got three main components in this series on the Sixers' side, have all had moments where they failed under pressure, and collectively they've got a lot to prove. So, All of those guys are feeling it, and Doc is feeling it in a big way, and that's why he's as defensive as he is.
1: Uh, Tim Legler, by the way, watching that game last night, Brandon Ingram would look nice in Philly instead of Ben Simmons, and Mikael Bridges would look nice in Philly instead of Zaire Smith. Just saying.
9: Well, wait, you didn't even imagine you, you left Tatum off the list, and let's go down. Well,
1: that was I mean, even, like, uh, that one's I think I'm, like, over by now. Like, you got so ripped off in that one, um, I couldn't Well, st- it's,
9: but I'm just saying, you know, think about it. You're talking about moves where all you had to do was stay where you were, and in the case of Bridges, do what you did, and yeah. just keep them. In the case of Tatum, just keep the pick. And, and draft Tatum.
1: Bridges don't turned into Harris. Bridges, like, Bridges turned nuts, into man. Harris because the pick they got in that trade, they traded to get Harris. So hindsight, you, I mean, at that point, you got Harris. You thought he was like, hey, he was a player, and you didn't know what Bridges was going to be. Well, Bridges has turned into a great player. Harris, I don't know. I, I don't know what the heck he is. I mean, he plays good. He doesn't. <laughs> I probably would rather have Bridges you know than Harris. You know
9: what's crazy, Mike? You know what's crazy, man? My last, last point here, I got to get to the sports stuff, but my last point is, You know what's crazy? We're talking like this and, and, and you can't help it, but they're up 3-2. That's what's insane. They're up 3-2. They didn't lose like last night, you know, Memphis almost lost game five at home. Now you got a chance to get closed out on the road. That's desperation. Like that's when you feel completely like, Oh my God, we let an opportunity slip through our fingers. They're up 3-2, but it's because of the history. Last year, the individual components in this series we have just talked about, the history makes you immediately think sky's falling and this thing's headed in an unprecedented direction. And that's what's
1: crazy because they're still up 3-2. Tim Legler, big time for SportsCenter. I appreciate it, Tim. (laughs) <laughs> take, you got it Mike. take care bud tim legler right, everybody here on the sports bash live 97.3 espn uh he'll be on sports center talking more about sixers nba playoffs here on the sports batch we always appreciate tim giving us a couple of minutes i thought he break, broke it down pretty well and uh of course we'll uh have the game actually tomorrow night sixers raptors game sixth. that is on our sister station Rock 1041. So put that in your presets if you're looking for the Sixers tomorrow night. Rock 104. one. 7 o'clock. We'll have the Sixers. We'll have the draft at 7. And then if there is a game 7, and I hope there isn't, the game will be back here on Saturday at either 7 or 8.30. I'll wrap up today's show. Coming up next. Now, 3
0: ESPN.
1: All right, Mike, you will get ready to wrap up the show. Hopefully you enjoyed the... Wednesday edition. Tomorrow we'll be live at Slack Tide Brewery down in Cape May Courthouse. Hopefully everybody out there who qualified will see you there. Stop on out and see us tomorrow. Someone's going to win an Eagles road trip on tomorrow's show to the game of their choice. Stop out and see the show tomorrow night. We'll do a lot of draft coverage, some Sixers previews, and more Phillies tonight. And, of course, we'll recap all the action. We'll be live tomorrow at Slack Tide Brewery. We hope to see everybody who qualified out there. It'll be a great show as our... Eagles draft party, this is your personal invite from me. Everybody is invited. Even if you did not qualify, come on out and see the show live. Have a couple of beers at Slack Tide. The food will be provided by Ernest & Sons. Old-fashioned butcher shop. They'll have food for everybody out there to ganache on. It's going to be a great day. I look forward to seeing a lot of the faces that text and call and have registered. Tomorrow's the opportunity to sports bash live. On 97.3 ESPN. Josh has game night coming up next. Dave Weinberg. It's a Weinberg Wednesday. He'll be on the show tonight at 620. We'll get his thoughts on the last day before the Eagles and the NFL draft. Also, for more on all these stories, go to our website, 97.3 ESPN.com, or download the free mobile app from the Apple Store or Google Play. It's free thanks to First Bank of Seattle. I'm Mike Gill. This has been the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Have a great night, everybody.